Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a fabulous group that's going to take us across the finish line. We're going to get to the very end, Act 5 of Hamlet. And we're going to get there through the conduit that is Emma Went. <laughs> and off we go. The dark channel, the channel for the madness. Um, before we jump into this final push of this mammoth endeavor, I just want to take a, a tiny second to thank Ariana for having me here and for having all of us here in this space that is tabling the podcast, because we will be moving to the end of this um, of this project today. And it's been a really special way to listen to some of my favorite actors on the planet deliver some really terrific Shakespeare. So thank you for your time and your work. And uh, here we are, time to die. <laughs> Grave Diggers, ahoy, act five. I'm sure we'll all be, you know, uh, coming out the gate with lots of questions soon enough. But act five, as I'm sure you've noticed, conforming to some of our weirdo patterns of acts previous is just two massive scenes and they are wild and they will take us to the finish come hell or high water. So grave diggers locked and loaded. Here we go. Is she to be buried in Christian burial when she willfully seeks her own salvation? I tell thee she is, therefore make her grave straight. The crowner hath sat on her and finds it Christian burial. How can that be? Unless she drowned herself in her own defense. Why tis found so? Oh, give me leave. Here lies the water. Good. Here stands the man. Good. If the man go to this water and drown himself, it is will he nil? He, well, he goes, mark you that. Mm -hmm. But if the water come to him and drown him, he drowns not himself. Argal, he that is guilty of his own death shortens not his own life. If this had not been a gentlewoman, she should have been buried out of Christian burial. Why there thou sayest. <clears throat> what is he that builds stronger than either the mason, the shipwright, or the carpenter? The gallows maker for that frame outlives a thousand tenants. Ha! I like thy wit well in good faith. The gallows does well, but how does it well? It does well to those that do ill. Now, thou dost ill to say the gallows is built stronger than the church. Argal. The gallows may do well to thee. To it again, come. Who builds stronger than a mason, a shipwright, or a carpenter? I uh, tell me that and unyoke. Mary, now I can tell. Uh, to it. Ma mass, I cannot tell. Cudgel thy brains no more about it, for your dull ass will not mend his pace with beating. And when you are asked this question next, say a grave maker. The houses he makes last till doomsday. Go, get the in. And fetch me a stoop of liquor. <clears throat> in you. When I did love, did love, methought it was very sweet. Has this fellow no feeling of his business? He sings in grave making. Custom hath made it in him a property of easiness. Tis e'en so. But age with his stealing steps hath clawed me in his clutch. 
That skull had a tongue in it and could sing once. How the knave jowls it to the ground as if it were Cain's jawbone that did the first murder. A pickaxe and a spade, a spade for and a shrouding sheet. Oh, and a pit of clay for to be made. For such a guest is meat. <laughs> There's another. Why may not that be the skull of a lawyer? Where be his cases now, his tenures and his tricks? I will speak to this fellow. Whose grave is this, Sarah? Mine, sir. Oh, a pit of clay for to be made. For such a guest is me. I think it be thine indeed, for thou liest in it. You lie out, aunt, sir, and therefore tis not yours. For my part, I do not lie in it, yet it is mine. Mm -hmm. Thou dost lie in it, to be int and say it is thine. Tis for the dead, not for the quick, therefore thou liest. Tis a quick lie, sir, twill away again from me to you. What man dost thou dig it for? For no man, sir. What woman, then? For none, neither. Who is to be buried in it? One that was a woman, <clears throat> sir. But rest her soul, she's dead. Okay, let's pause there for a second. <laughs> but rest her soul, she's dead. Oh my God. Another one, another great moment of the casting coming home to roost in a way that I truly, <laughs> that I truly, truly hoped for. Um, hi, Grave Diggers. I want to talk about your weird riddles and Aaron, Aaron coming from the, coming from the school of shallow and silence today i feel like in a way in a way and i was like will are we doing voices and he was like yeah i'll probably do a voice and so i committed to doing a voice and then lo and behold will starts with no voice (laughs) (laughs) but i wasn't gonna let that stop me i was gonna continue i only do like (laughs) an mvp that's truly the deepest betrayal yeah it is i can do a voice no it's fine (laughs) okay There's lots of linguistic fun that we could pause and talk about, and maybe we will, but I also just want to hold on to the facts. I have timeline questions, and we may need to tap Isabelle in for that that in a second, but I also just want to talk about the sort of the semantics of salvation that the gravediggers are debating, because there's actually a lot of information right out the gate here at the top of Act 5, which... The question of is she to be buried in Christian burial when she willfully seeks her own salvation is like right at the beginning of the act. We're talking about this is unorthodox. Like, are we going to are we going to give a Christian burial to someone who has killed themselves? Because suicide is, you know, a horrible sin in the cosmology of these folks. And that's what so much of this language is about in terms of drowning herself in her own defense and then the whole little semantic paragraph the grave digger has about you know okay well if i'm here and the water comes to me rather than i go to the water you know that whole thing so i wondered if you guys had thoughts and questions about any of those kind of facts and that debate well it's a lovely little passage because it's one of the rare moments I think in Shakespeare where you do have a bit of a class discussion where you have Hamlet being at the top of all nobility the top of the social political every food chain available um and he has a nice long chat about death and really the consequences like I just don't know where I'll end up um and then you have the gravedigger which are very like layman people who are just digging holes for a living Mm. and the conversation isn't really open to like I wonder what'll happen it's like 
wait, this is messed up. Like you, you go, you don't get to go to heaven if you kill yourself. Like those are rules and we have to follow them, not explore them. But because she's a gentle woman, she can do what she wants. Yeah, class and dying there for Ophelia. Yeah, yeah, it's really important that if if this had not been a gentlewoman, she should have been buried out of Christian burial. And just the the weirdly colloquial nature of like, yeah, there you have it. You know, just the fact that, yeah, there's such a class thing going on. And we'll talk more as the scene goes on about how, like you pointed out, which I think is really smart. And I think this is really the thing is that death has been such a it only became a fact, you know, briefly in the you know the people who hamlet who has been doing the most philosophizing about death ha is about to get actually up to his neck in the nitty-gritty of it with you and it's your profession you know what i mean so there's something so like earthy if you'll forgive me about this scene taking it all the way into the ground and it being so visceral and like physical and now we're just looking at bones you know i don't know there's a lot there's a lot going on with them yeah I think it's fun too, though, because I feel like visceral experiences are just in general more visceral. You're really feeling stuff. So there's more liable to have like real reactions and feelings about it, as opposed to I feel like Hamlet has a lot of thought experiments, which move me emotionally. Um, but, you know, when it's like a guy just singing in the dirt, you know, it's he's, he's coming at the same problem, but from the opposite end of existence. Exactly. Exactly. And I love just as a dramatic choice, Aaron, I loved the choice that you made of like the, the suggestion that these riddles are just sort of how they pass the time. And there's this weird competitive edge of like, yeah. ah, I gotcha. You know, I think that's really fun. Yeah. I, it's interesting to watch them utilize problem solving in a different way. Like we've seen this rich kid twiddle his thumbs and think about his problems for five, four acts and jump through circles of his own brain and now you have these two people we've never met before i mean yeah. like the most beautiful poetry oh, ever written in gorgeous. the english language like you know it's... hamlet's very good but yeah, it's... and also no, no no he's good at it sure yeah, yeah. hamlet's a lad <laughs> worth listening to the thing about a uh, the thing about us ha not having had very many the class thing suddenly becoming really apparent is always super <sighs> refreshing to me at this point in the play because we talked last time when we were in act four about how little nature there's been in the play and also that scene that we just had in act four where we go outside and then here comes Fortinbras and his army is like the first time we've been outside and you know because this is the rare play that takes place entirely in a castle and there's basically nobody steps outside until Hamlet is on his way to England and then we hear about Ophelia's death. It's like as soon as we're outside the castle and we're out on like the land wherever we are here, we meet people who are not of our social strata, who yeah. are not in the family that we've been spending time with and we're in the dirt. Especially when Hamlet just had his little bit about like, look at Fordenbras, he's about to send 20,000 people to their deaths for his noble cause or whatever I'm paraphrasing, but that little bit. And then it's so interesting that Shakespeare pretty quickly then is like, also, here's a normal guy that could be sent to his death by the people we're talking about. Like, just making it a real or just showing like an example of a guy that could get swept up in something like that is cool. And I really I really like the fact that the in the riddles, you know, this thing of a mason, a shipwright, a carpenter, the placing of gravediggers among those trades 
something something really powerful that this scene does is remind us that death is just another like these are laborers like death is an incredibly quotidian fact of life you know what i mean it's like these guys these guys might as well be building houses like it sucks the it sucks the romance out of it in a way that feels really intentional to me do you know what i mean of just like nope we're just like this is just work man yeah, it's interesting too with those three specific examples with like the ship, the mason, and whatever the third one was, um, carpenter, because those are also like skilled crafts. So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of like, you know, the grave digger putting himself along the lines with that, or maybe juxtaposing him with that. Maybe that's where the humor comes from a little bit. I don't know. It's fun. It, it, it is like six years of training to become a grave digger in Elizabethan England. So it really just, yeah. So just as like being a carpenter is a trade, a, a grave digging is actually a very similar trade. They just didn't have a guild in the medieval times. So they're a little bit lower on the ladder. Oh, that's really cool. That is cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, even more too than just the experience of these people's relationship to death. It's like, it's a craft that they've worked at and had to establish themselves in the field of grave digging yeah yeah i love that and so a couple of quick questions for isabel before we move forward i've always wondered because i think it's so funny is argal just a poor person's pronunciation of ergo that's how i've always read it um okay yeah because it's used in the same way like it's like it's like bad latin okay let's let's look it up masterful malaprop yeah it's nice well and it also just sort of suggests the accent you know what I mean? In a kind of funny way. But that was the thing. And then also just timeline wise, because Ham- here come Hamlet and Horatio together, whose reunion we do not see. Hamlet no longer naked and alone, presumably clothed and not alone. What a choice. What a choice. That's not was my interpretation. <laughs> That's not my interpretation at all. Our goal means... Um, Therefore, um, it is defined as a clumsy piece of reasoning and Shakespeare invented it. Fantastic. I'm going to meet you halfway, Will, and say that it works like ergo, which is the same as therefore. There you go. Very nice. It's a collab. Um, Um, There's also something I've always found really interesting with Shakespeare that he does is whenever shit's about to get really serious, he inserts comedic people that... Yep. It's just like, hey, you know, so far it's been fine. And like only that one guy died. Also Ophelia. But here's some funny things. Look, it's not all serious. There's some funny things, too. The positioning of this scene is maybe my favorite thing about the play. Not to tip the hand too hard, but we're going to get into it. But this, the, the choice after everything that we've been through, we, all of us, the choice start five act five here is masterful tonally i think yeah for that reason so time check hamlet and horatio coming in together we can presume that this follows pretty swiftly on the heels of act four or are we not deep enough yet to time check you think so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because of because of the timing of Ophelia's funeral, right? They right. can't embalm, so you, you got to bury those bodies pretty fast, or uh-huh. they start to uh, stink everything up. And I, right. I do just want to mention that um, in exactly because I don't think I, I said this yesterday in the first quarto in the bad quarto, there's that scene that doesn't exist in the other two 
versions in which Horatio comes to Gertrude and says, I got this letter from your son. And it says that he's going to meet me in the city later tonight and he's totally fine and that Claudius tried to kill him. And then Gertrude says, oh, I'm glad my son's okay. So, but it's interesting because um, in the first quarto, Gertrude is entirely aware by the final scene of what Claudius has done and that Claudius tried to murder her kid. Whereas it's, it's ambiguous in this version. Um, and then mm -hmm. for this scene, um, we know that Hamlet had sent Horatio a different letter than addition to like the pirate one and had met him like uh, by the city walls. Okay, hmm, very interesting. Okay, we'll be touching base with Gertrude Ambiguity Town in a little bit since this version is Gertrude Ambiguity Town. Um, hmm, all right. Let's roll on from one that was a woman, sir, but rest her soul, she's dead. One that was a woman, sir, but rest her soul, she's dead. How absolute the knave is. We must speak by the card or equivocation will undo us. How long hast thou been a grave maker? Of all the days of the year? I came to it that day that our last King Hamlet overcame Fortinbras. How long is that since? <clears throat> can you not tell that? Every fool can tell that. <clears throat> it was that very day that young Hamlet was born. He that's mad and sent into England. Hi, Mary. Why was he sent to England? Why? <laughs> because he was mad. He shall recover his wits there. How came he mad? Very strangely, they say. How strangely? Faith, even with losing his wits. Upon what ground? Why, here in Denmark. I have been sexton here, man and boy, 30 years. Here's a skull now. Hath lined you in the earth three and 20 years. Whose was it? A horse and mad fellows it was. Whose do you think it was? Nay, I know not. This same skull. Sir, was, sir, Yorick's skull. The king's jester. This. Seen that. Let me see. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest of most excellent fancy. He hath bore me on his back a thousand times, and now how abhorred in my imagination it is. My gorge rises at it. Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Where be your jibes now, your gambles, your songs, your flashes of merriment that were wont to set the table on a roar? Not one now to mock your own grinning? Quite chop-fallen? Now, get you to my lady's chamber and tell her, let her paint, let her paint an inch thick. To this favor she must come. Make her laugh at that. To what base uses we may return, Horatio? But soft a while. Here comes the king. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second before we get everybody in, just to deal with some of that stuff. Hi, Yorick. Also, hi, hammy boy. Okay, so a, a couple of thoughts jump into my brain. I can't, this is just a passing thing, but princes sort of in disguise, princes unknown as themselves having conversations with random lay people is such a Shakespeare move. He loves it so much. And I can't help but th I always think of the the Henry V in disguise before Agincourt scene from Henry V of like, there's always that a critical moment. He just fucking loves it of being like, Oh, yeah? The prince is crazy, huh? Tell me about that, random man. Um, so it's just an interesting, it's an interesting opportunity. And 
the idea of, you know, we talked about the class distinction suddenly being raised in this really kind of gaping way. And the thing of the fact that Hamlet's princeliness or whatever is not visible to the, to this man is, has always felt interesting to me, you know, but quick Hamlet, this is, this is one of the moments where people hang a lot of Hamlet age dramaturgy. So I know that we do need to talk about it, Isabel. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you, if you look at the numbers here, it means that Hamlet is 30 and um, that's fine, uh, I guess. But if you, if you look at the way that college worked in Elizabethan England, he's not 30 unless he's like getting a PhD in something, um, <laughs> but in, which is like, okay, Hamlet. But in the first quarto, in the bad quarto, which, you know, we call bad because it's different, but things aren't bad just because they're different. He's 18. He's explicitly 18 years old in this scene. Um, and I think that, that that age matches everything about Hamlet as he's written. Um, personally and uh i and it's textual it's just not in the text that everyone likes to use i mean in this version which i prepared i kept in the three and 20 years because our actor playing hamlet was over 30 so you know it matched it matched more with him but i i think i think um the play fits together better if we go with the q1 18 years old does that change the textual number in, in, in the Q1? Is there a different number for how many years York skull has laid in the earth? <laughs> yeah, um, a laid in the earth this dozen year. Great. Yeah. And Interesting, it, yeah. Yeah, and I could talk all day about Q1, but uh, the really short version of it is that um, it exists, it was published, and um, it's, it's similar and different enough to indicate that it's not just a bad copy. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets a bad rap for reasons that mostly boil down to the fact that the transcription of to be or not to be in the Q1 sounds like someone in another room barely listening to a production of Hamlet trying to remember it because just that speech is like to be uh, or something is a dream or a rub. It's like the whole thing is just like so crazy. But I agree. I think the age thing is really interesting and it's just, you know, the scene for something that contains so much comedy also contains a weird amount of information. So the number that always sticks, because I know that the math comes out to 30 if you look at the numbers, but the math that always, the number that always sticks in my mind is just the, it's laying in the ground three and 20 years. And then Hamlet is like, I knew him. So you're like, well, he's old, over 23 enough to remember this dead man significantly well from his childhood. So somewhere in the twenties, I feel like would play, you know, but okay, cool. And the only other thing that I kind of want to raise from this so far is just that thing that we talked about in Act 3, I think, about how what Hamlet's madness allows him to do is to, like, step into the role of the fool in Elsinore. And we talked briefly about the fact that it's actually notable that there is no fool in the court of this play. The kick in the guts of that is that there is one. He's dead. We meet him in Act 5. <laughs> the fact that there was a fool. He's in the play. This skull could have belonged to anyone. And instead, the choice that the author makes is this is your, you know, belonged to the king's jester who died and was never replaced. This is the figure from Hamlet's childhood that he remembers the face that he stares into. It's so significant that it's, it's the fool from his childhood 
whose role he sort of grew to fill in a weird way. You know what I mean? So just to put that on the table, that always feels really um, like it colors the recollection to me. To what base uses we may return. Um, now, Julia, I know you're off cam for internet reasons. Um, just in terms of the language of this little bit so far before we get the court in, um, any thoughts or needs from you? Um, I don't have many needs or thoughts. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I... I just sort of have like weird feelings about the orcs even sort of what Isabel said too, you know, it, it doesn't, it's such a weird little bit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite feel genuine to me. Oh, I see. I have hmm. trouble taking it seriously for some reason. I don't know why. To that point, I think that she was making about the, the sense that it, it isn't genuinely invested. I feel like there's something to it because in the whole text, there's that, there's that really weird bit about um, Alexander the Great, uh, Mm -hmm. hole. I um, sort of love that stuff. I do, and I understand like it's a bit it's a bit weird, but mostly the turn from Hamlet to go from joking mm -hmm. about first threatening Claudius, as we said, with mm -hmm. the whole like you're gonna pass through the guts of a beggar. Yes. Um, then into Alexander the Great could turn into dirt, be compressed into a cork and stopper a barrel of crap. Yep. And then immediately to like pick up a skull and then have a visceral connection. It feels, it does feel like a really weird third thing to put on top of that. That's interesting because I, I totally feel, I feel that now that you're putting it that way, but I've always felt really, I've always felt like it's not different at all. I've always felt like that's all the same thing of like, what's happening now is that we're understanding the way that death actually happens in a physical sense in the body. And like Hamlet is sort of moving into a new understanding of like, I mean, the thing of the a king going a progress through the guts of a beggar and that whole thing and the worms. I mentioned whenever we did that act that it reminded me of this of this scene because of the Alexander the Great language, which I had forgotten was cut in this in this version. But the to me, the thing of that is the simplicity of like this physical body that I've been worrying so much about, like the facts of death on a metaphysical level that we've spent so much time thinking about don't when you're confronted with the actual physical that kind of falls away you know what I mean it's like it's the, the sense of death as an equalizer leads right into the Yorick stuff of just like yeah this was a person and now it's a skull and that like the fact that it fills hello hammy boy just the fact that it's such physical language like we were talking about visceral responses my gorge rises at it you know is such a physical thing. Well, and also the fact that Hamlet literally just escaped his own murder and sent yeah. his old friends off to be murdered. I think of the speech in those terms and in a mm -hmm. way it holds both. Like it's almost a mockery of like, you know, wh where be your jibes now? Like it makes me think of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern a lot. Totally, totally and helpful. That yes. mocking, but also like, holy shit, like I did that. <laughs> I don't know. I also uh, think building off um, uh, something you said, Emma, made me um, think just about uh, the visceral nature. And I also think uh, it kind of leads to why comedy uh, yeah. works for that experience as well. Yeah. I think, you know, if everyone is sitting there contemplating death in the audience, um, that's a very private and like it's a private experience in a public setting. But like laughter, I think, can be very um, 
vulnerable in these contexts because you actually yes. have to go, ha, 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 and then everyone looks at you if no one else is doing it. But if everyone does it together, you get that sense of, oh, hey, we're all like, hey, we are all listening, right? And I think um, I think those moments of laughter are something I love about Shakespeare, especially in a play like Hamlet, because they have a way of framing the personal private with yes. really public, like we're all in a silly castle and we're all wasted having fun. Um, and I think the way they intermingle those two experiences kind of frame each other. And I feel like a, a funny play with a really serious Hamlet can be really functional because everything, um, mm -hmm. everything clarifies and um, I'm struggling for the exact word I'm looking for, but it, it makes the lines in between everything more clear, draws more attention to everything. I think that's right. I think that's super useful. To me, the fact that the the laughter, what you just said, the fact that the laughter, Hamlet talks about laughter as well. You know, I mean, where be your flashes of merriment that were want to set the table on a roar? I just, to me, that's one of the most effective lines in the bit of just like, this is a guy this was a joker. Like this is a guy who used to, who used to be full of laughter and now I'm holding his skull. Like, where yeah. did it go? The mystery of that, the like human mystery of that is just so it's just, I mean, like the reason that it's the iconic image of the play, I feel like is that there is such a distillation. Like there is such a difference between thinking about death and holding it in your hand. Yeah. And like actually looking it in the eyes and being like, Oh, this is what it means. You know what I mean? So one of the things that I that is tricky and most interesting, I think, is the transition from that into the language about Ophelia. Now get you to my lady's cha chamber and tell her, let her paint an inch thick. Or unless 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 we interpret my lady to mean Gertrude. But the the language, I think it's Ophelia, but the the language there is interesting so i just wanted to bus stop here if people have thoughts about that transition that's such a such an interesting transition it takes us to such a kind of almost a nunnery scene ophelia place and then we're about to receive this like incredibly intense news about her death and so i just wanted to kind of flag it and see if you had any thoughts about why that language comes right there or how the transition works I don't know. I, I mean, for me, it felt like because I'm, I'm sorry, I missed the whole conversation about what we felt about the, the genuineness of this, but I guess it doesn't matter. But I think for me, it, it would read logically as Gertrude mm. um, if sort of what Hamlet's doing here is kind of like weirdly pretending to be his father, who I assume would have been the one. I don't know. It just feels like the person talking to the fool being like, Mm. you know interesting not one now to mock your like it, it just feels like it would be this hamlet senior because you know <laughs> even even if with like the sort of timeline that we've been given he still would have been quite young um yeah that's interesting i mean i i had always interpreted it as hamlet himself in his present age and body speaking to york as if he were still alive or like to to present york saying yeah, i mean Get thee to my latest chamber yeah i don't think he's like role playing for the whole speech i just sort of meant like you know uh-huh he he carried he you know he says like oh he, he carried me around on his back like i you know i kissed him i kissed him a lot mm -hmm. um and uh and then he sort of says 
you know, you were want to like jump on the table and like no one is here to mock your, the way that you used to smile and to mock your own grinning. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just assumed it was Gertrude, but I also think it's interesting if it's, mm. um, if it's Ophelia. Either way, the language makes me think of, you know, your other language about makeup in the play, <laughs> you know, of it at the end of the, of the nunnery scene. It makes me think of the sort of weird um, intensity of, you know, God has given you one face and you paint yourselves another. And the last time you, ta- you talked about it, you were being really like, uh, intensely negative about it and then the sort of weird irony of this line of tell her tell her paint an inch thick if she's gonna come to my favor you know is an interesting like ghost of that for sure in, in I, the opposite direction you know for sure it it also like thinking that way of like in a in a, in a world in which hamlet is you know in the castle it is like oh send for my lady in like a normal world is a weird thing to think about right now um, exactly the rest of the act that is to come given that like he said he's not going to think about the future anymore it's a weird sort of like alt universe hamlet <laughs> he's like ah uh-huh, yeah in a world where he was still alive i'd be married and not trying to kill everyone and speaking of which um let's bring everybody in uh if you're good to go from where you are julia uh internet wise sound wise you sound great so let's start from but soft but soft a while here comes the king but soft but soft a while here comes the king the queen the courtiers who is this they follow and with such maimed rights this doth betoken the course they followed did with desperate hand fordo its own life twas of some estate couch we a while and mark what ceremony else that is Laertes, and very noble youth. Mark. What ceremony else? Her obsequies have been as far enlarged as we have warranty. Her death was doubtful, and, and but that great command or sways the order, she should in ground unsanctified be lodged till the last trumpet. Must there no more be done? No more be done. Layer of the earth. And from her fair and unpolluted flesh may violets spring. I tell thee, churlish priest, a ministering angel shall my sister be when thou liest howling. What? The fair Ophelia. Sweets to the sweet, farewell. I hope thou shouldst have been my Hamlet's wife. I thought thy bridebed to have decked, sweet maid, and not have strewed thy grave. Hold off the earth a while. Till I have caught her once more in mine arms. Now pile your dust upon the quick and dead. What is he whose grief bears such an emphasis? This is I, Hamlet the Dane. The devil take thy soul. Thou prayest not well, hold off thy hand. Pluck them asunder. Hamlet, Hamlet. Good, my lord. I loved Ophelia. 40,000 brothers could not with all their quantity of love make up my son. What wilt thou do for her? Oh, he's mad, Laertes. For the love of God, forbear him. Swoon, show me what thou do. What weep, what fight, what fast, would tear thyself, be buried quick with her, and so will I. This is mere madness. Hear you, sir. What is the reason that you use me thus? I loved you ever, but it is no matter. Let Hercules himself do what he may. The cat will mew, and dog will have his day. I pray thee, good Horatio, wait upon him. 
strengthen your patience in our last night's speech. We'll put the matter to the present push. Good Gertrude, set some watch over your son. This grave shall have a living monument. An hour of quiet thereby shall we see till, in, till then in patience our proceeding be. Okay. The saddest family in every juncture. So, okay. I'm always really great. I always find myself really grateful for how explicit this priest is about his concerns. I feel like it really kind of helps us. The whole scene is really explicit about Ophelia. I mean, the grave diggers start with like, interesting if she wasn't a lady we definitely wouldn't be digging this grave here you know and like the fact that the the priest comes in with her death was doubtful and has the balls to say that to laertes you know i mean the, the fact that it's just like no i can't like i can't this is not canonical i feel like you said are we there yet twice in the, at the top of the scene already so he's probably been through a lot of this line of questioning already by the time they mm -hmm. walked in you know yeah yeah and just the the explicitness of a great you know but that great command or sways the order she shouldn't ground unsanctified bin lodge till the last trumpet is really intense language yeah it's explicit Explicit. And I mean, this thing that Isabel keeps reminding us of throughout the throughout the acts of how terrified everyone is of going to hell and how real that is as a thing. And to add that already to the burden that Laertes is carrying of like, must there no more be done of just the fact that like, so so what's happening is she is being buried in sanctified ground, much against the wishes of this grumpy priest. And Laertes' question, must there no more be done, refers to how much more, what, what does Laertes want aside from this? What more? I guess, hmm, I, I don't know exactly. I think I would have expected, like, I mean, not like what my father should have gotten, but um, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, not like the trooping of the color here, but like, I don't know, can we sing a song? Like, can we do a rosary? Can we do something? Like, something. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, truly, any, it, I mean, it feels like I'm grasping at straws. The unfairness of it feels really palpable, though, doesn't it? And yeah. the things that I really wanted to, I mean, again, Laertes was coming in hot in act four. I mean, the language, that language was so intense. And what just really hit me was, you know, a couple of things from her fair and unpolluted flesh may violets spring a couple of things about that the insistence on her flesh being unpolluted yeah so like it's funny like to imagine to take as red no yeah i guess i would have to then in this yeah not know that she was like pregnant or whatever but like i i don't know this or or just like or or no and and decide to not know, you know what I mean? Like, like or know and, and insist that it, it doesn't matter to the priest, perhaps, you know, like. My, again, this is a very 2021 answer and an answer that I feel like I would give, but like, mm -hmm. again, it feels like Laertes wouldn't have fucking cared. He, he's That's the least, 
uh, he's the least concerned male in this fucking play about the sex Ophelia is having. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's why I think the insistence on her being remembered as fair and unpolluted. And also, like, I mean, you know, may violets spring. The fact that the last time you saw violets, you know, I mean, violets have a very specific kind of resonance in this play. The only flowers we've ever seen, you know, coming from Ophelia, that this language is so intense with all of the heaven and hell that's in our heads in this play. A ministering angel shall my sister be when thou liest howling. It's metal. Yeah, it's um and again that makes me again want to say even if even if we play that he knew that she was pregnant and sexually active, mm-hmm. he's clearly so enraged and like feels that the entire thing is so unfair that he literally yeah. is like fuck your religion, fuck you, fuck this. You're going to like he's coming from such a feeling place that I feel like I don't want to be like I'm offended by her potential pregnancy. I it doesn't it doesn't feel like what it is. No, but, I hey, think depending on the production, like obviously that could be changed. But I think I think his language is really really for. I mean, his rage is for Ophelia. Like I feel like he's yeah. he's the one that is truly motivated for her memory in this moment. And yeah. so holding that, a couple things I want to touch before we leave this behind is like this Gertrude's language here. Mm. It's the first time that anyone besides Hamlet and Ophelia, because, you know, we keep talking about how, like, we've, the, the word vows has come up in a couple of poetic places. The, you know, like, we keep talking about, like, oh, sex is sort of a marriage and practice in the, in the period. But the fact that Gertrude's language is explicitly, I hoped thou shouldst have been my Hamlet's wife, and that someone actually says that. <laughs> Well, to me, it also connects back to what she said earlier uh, to the like the last thing she said to sort of lucid Ophelia, which was that I hope that it's your beautiful self that has been what has, you know, sort of knocked Hamlet off center. And I also hope that your virtuous qualities and you as a person is what will bring him back. So to me, there is like a kind of there's a kind of through line there of like mm-hmm. the understanding that these two young people mean a lot to each other and the tragedy of, again, like I think we, we kind of discovered with act four, the tragedy of failing them both. And that is rough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like that is so the move for her. That is so the strongest move. Just feeling so awful about all of the young people that she feels responsible for and moving into act five with that. And then Laertes. So Olivia, you raised the point yesterday that so Laertes does indeed jump into the grave first. Mm -hmm. And what I want to ask you, because obviously Laertes is in a really hot emotional place when you jump in till I've caught her once more in my arms. Yes, of course, makes sense. What are we doing with now pile your dust upon the quick and dead? You know, because the gesture of this incredibly overwrought having a breakdown young man of jumping into the grave to hold his sister and then going, okay, now fill it, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it's so intense. I mean, like, obviously, like when I just read it, I'm like, (laughs) went the other direction because it's so just like, Mm -hmm. God, like, it's just, 
Well, does he want to like, does he want to die? Like, what do you think that line comes from? I think a little bit. I mean, yeah, I think in this moment, Mm -hmm. suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. Being completely overcome with emotion, though. Right. I mean, yeah, in this moment. Right. Because there's not a logic. There's not a logic. It's just all guts. Right. And the gut move is fuck it. I want to stay here with her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, even even in the things that are said just before, like, yeah, logic left so long ago. Or indeed, like, the rules of what this should be like have not been in the space to such a degree that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then Hamlet, who has been hiding over here with Horatio, Mm -hmm. it is I, Hamlet to Dane, here he comes, reveal and then the it isn't this is I this is I Hamlet the Dean the devil take thy soul thou praised not well is a shared line is that right Isabel? Do you have it in front of me? Yeah, the devil take thy soul thou praised not well. So well, Hamlet the Dean, what do you think? Yeah, uh, it dep- it it depends on your edition. Okay, uh, the Arden has uh, uh, Hamlet the Dean is shared with the devil take thy soul, and then okay. the praised not well is short um okay and the and the oxford has them all as short lines hmm. <sighs> unhelpful I, oxford yeah olivia if i'm wrong but I, I might have like literally imagined this but i feel like there's a line that got cut from this edition where laertes says the devil take thy soul and doesn't say still doesn't say anything else but hamlet says something like if you take your fingers from my throat for two seconds i'll say some more yeah, I, I think that was cut. Yeah, so like, either way, Laertes is like the devil take thy soul, and then he's like, cool. Like, he's just like, oh, he's here. Straight up, hands yeah. on. Yeah. Olivia wants to make all of the laying on hands choices in this in this interpretation of Laertes, and I'm with yeah. that. I'm with like, that. It, it is, it's exciting for, for the, I mean, it's, it's fun in a nerdy way to note all of the mm-hmm. internal stage direction he gives Laertes. He's yes. so a creature, a creature of, well, at least at this time in his life. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, I, the action, I can take it. And I, then have I, the, uh, I have the folio up here just because I was looking at it earlier. Um, and I have it as, what is he whose grief bears such an emphasis, whose phrase of sorrow conjure the wandering stars and makes them stand like wonder wounded harder hearers. This is I, Hamlet the Dane. The mm-hmm. devil take thy soul. Thou prayest not well. I prithee take thy fingers from my throat. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Okay. But either way, even in this cut, Olivia, we can make the thing of, uh, if we do, okay, hold on. If we do, this is I, Hamlet the Dane. The devil take thy soul. Thou prayest not well, hold off thy hand. We can still imagine that you've made the move on the devil take thy soul as you as you jump in with the text because hold off thy hand is still here so i feel like we can still tell that story and anyway if we're in this very enclosed space together suddenly it's not like it would be hard yeah to reach yeah he's right there hold off thy hand right and then and then claudius and gertrude incredibly ineffectually pluck them asunder hamlet hamlet like who the priest yeah. <laughs> Horatio's like I I won't I can't <laughs> Ophelia who's laying there like, yeah 
Rude. I I had a thought that there, because I always love tracking, kind of such a nerd. I love tracking repetitions of yeah. uh, repeated, not just like repeated words, but also repeated sounds and consonants. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But the fact that it's like two to me is like, there's like, oh my God, it's Hamlet to like, no, 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 Hamlet. You know, like there's like two, like there's like yeah. a double reaction of like, oh my God, my son is alive to like, oh no, he's about to be killed by Laertes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, right. And remember, remember when we talked yesterday about Gertrude being like, I don't want to see anyone else killed today. Yeah. You know, the whole kind of the Gertrude energy of like, I have to stop Laertes because I don't want him to kill Claudius in front of my eyeballs right now because I've already seen an old man killed this week is like the this thing of Gertrude being like, oh my God, not again, you know? <laughs> well, and I mean, the three people, the three young people that you feel responsible for are literally in a grave together right I now. What One of them's already dead and the other two are trying to kill each other. I know, it's so sad. <sighs> That's messed up. Dude, it's hard to be a mom. <laughs> In Elsinore. <laughs> so, okay. Pluck them asunder. Hamlet, Ham okay. And then Horatio... Is there more in the full text, Isabel, of Horatio's good my lord here? What is the rest of that? Is, is it indicated that Horatio pulls them apart? Or does Hamlet good just my say... Yeah. Good my lord, be quiet. Fantastic. <laughs> You know, doing the real work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no indication that Horatio pulls them apart, which means that pluck them asunder, Hamlet, Hamlet, good my lord, I loved Ophelia. I mean, I think that good my lord probably does feel like a, a reach line, like a physical touch line. I mean, with this text, with this text that we're given, that is how I would stage it. Because there's no one else here to do that job. Yeah, and also, like, if Horatio is standing off to the side saying, good, my lord, it, it, it's completely useless. Well, and at the end of the scene, in a second, Claudius is going to be like, Horatio, take care of him. Which so is also like, why? Why is Claudius telling you to follow Ophelia out and follow Hamlet out? I don't talk to him ever. Because you don't know the dastardly plan? Yeah. And he doesn't I, I, want you to hear it? I think it's, I think it's mm -hmm. to clear Hamlet and his allies out of here. Okay. I mean, look, I don't fucking, I have no fucking idea. I didn't mean to suggest that. No, no, that no, that totally, certain, that but... totally tracks. That totally tracks for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good, good reason as any. Horatio, Horatio. you want to Yeah, Horatio has a hard job. The fact that, the fact that we know that Horatio is still with Hamlet, though. Hmm. And so, if anyone can be responsible for him in this moment. I mean, we're about to get into my real confusion about Horatio in 5-2, so. Exciting. I'm excited to get into it because it is confusing. Ham and and uh, Laertes, just if you have any thoughts. I mean, so Hamlet, this is the tricky part about this. You have just gotten back from England not knowing Ophelia is dead. That's correct, right? Hamlet doesn't know. He was gone. He just got back. So all of the weird flush of recognition of everybody going, oh my God, Hamlet, we didn't think he was here. Hamlet realizing what's happening in this funeral and the outpouring of emotion. What, I mean, considering the Hamlet-Ophelia relationship that we built in Acts 3 and 4, I feel like all of the love and stuff, like I buy that outpouring of emotion. Some of the texts that I always have a hard time with is the text to Laertes, 
hear you, sir. What is the reason that you use me thus? I loved you ever. You did kill his dad. I mean, yeah, like, uh, obviously from the outside. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, talk to me about the internal logic of this moment from the from the running up to the grave and jumping into the end. Talk to me about the Hamlet logic space of this or yeah, the Hamlet I mean, emo- emotion space. I mean, I think I think. And again, like I said before, I'm not trying to say like, this guy is right. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to defend anyone's actions no, no. here. He killed Polonius. He was a dick about it. We've all, we all know that. I think like from this perspective, for me, I, I truly don't think that he thinks about the death of Polonius as being, for, first of all, like I, 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 he probably just like doesn't realize that Polonius is their father in a weird way. He's sort of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's my uncle's crony as opposed to like that, that is parentage has such a weird mm-hmm. identity for Hamlet. And so I think it's, it's hard to imagine that somebody mm-hmm. given what he's going through, Mm-hmm. it's hard for him to like connect. Oh, I lost my father. And that's why like my whole life is fucked up. Oh, your father, like the person that I killed was your father. Like it's hard to sort of like bridge that gap, I think in the state that he's in, but also um, especially when he's like, so like focused on the fact that like the woman that he loved is lying mm-hmm. dead. And and I think, you know, the whole scene up to this point is like, this whole parade and he sort of says like it's got to be a courtier like who is it I must know them and he's like kind of in denial and then when Laertes says sister he's like oh no 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 um and then I think to me the the like I, I always loved you thing to me comes back to his his love letters to Ophelia which said like never doubt that I love you and you know in their minds they were married you know and so like mm-hmm. to his mind this is his brother-in-law Mm-hmm. And you like, never had, there's nothing, there is no, on a person to person level, there is no bad blood between Hamlet and Laertes. No. Like, you're like, I think I, I track that, that in his mind, it's like, well, this guy and I don't have any beef. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, he, I think it's also probably astonishing to see her given such a sparse and, and, you know, funeral with no, you know, no, no speeches made, no songs sung, no, no, no one reading from the bible like nothing to to have such a like sort of unattended and and dismal Mm -hmm. funeral Mm -hmm. is is confusing and he's like what what do you mean you don't want me to jump in here with you like we should both be like destroying everything she's dead you know Mm -hmm. and so i think the like the the idea that it might be his fault like is unthinkable i think at this moment Mm -hmm. yeah it's all so raw I, I totally am with that. I think that's the thing. That's the thing is that obviously it's a play so much about grief. We've already been sitting in one kind of grief stew for so much of the play. But the fact that this is in a whole other key because it's Ophelia, because it's a surprise to you, the sort of white hot immediacy. I mean, we meet you a month or so, uh, you know, a, a month or two after your father's death. And the fact that Ophelia's death, we see you see it for the first time. I feel like that's a thing where, again, Shakespeare is like, oh, you thought this was a play about grief? This is what happens when you turn it all the way up to 11 and it's just absolutely white hot. Yeah. And I think also like the idea that she committed suicide, however much that sort of registers, is like pretty Uh horrifying, not only because of like what it implies about like his own culpability in the situation, but also like, as we've said, they they were 
and like people sort of, they definitely thought of themselves as being equals, like intellectual equals. So the idea that she, someone who he knew so well and loved so well could go mad, like considering yeah. everything that he's been doing is completely out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Olivia, yeah. May I, I a question for Hamlet and the director. <laughs> that all makes sense. It's really hard to not feel like this language isn't explicitly challenging to Laertes. The fact that he's like, so show he me without, the, show me without do that stuff. Yes, but also forty thousand brothers could not yeah. make up the amount of love that I had. Yeah. So, so I wonder. I don't know. I I don't know why Laertes like every like <laughs> everyone in the Hamlet family's like challenging Laertes's feelings when he is out here actually like enacting how he actually feels but like I don't know I'm curious for Hamlet and the director like if Laertes literally like straight up like lays hands on him which I think is suggested like did like does Hamlet feel like would you feel like you wanted to fight back or would you feel like you'd be like no like we're like we're in this together or like how would it feel what would your impulse be I mean, like, if you want to break, for, for me, like, the breakdown is kind of like, he jumps into the grave and he's like, uh, don't, don't bury her until I've held her one more time. Okay, now, now pile it on. She's, she's dead. There, to me, it's this, that line feels like it, it would really be, you know, as striking enough as to cause him to come in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, you want to talk about grief? And then they're like, sort of weirdly fighting. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like the 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 pumping of the blood, all of this, like so, somehow I am to blame, you are putting me to blame, but also like you, your your grief is making you lash out. And it's like, well, what can you say of grief? Uh, and of course, like to yeah. me, that's kind yeah. of like the weird thought pattern. And then the sort of like, like, okay, you're laying hands on me. Like, it, what do you want to do? Do you, you want to fight me because you're so like rot? Like, that's fine. I'll fight you. I'm also like- distraught and my heart is torn apart and and like if that's what if that's the way that we are as men gonna manifest our grief then so be it I think that that's kind of like where that goes yeah I agree I think that's right I think it 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 is from both of them one of the tragedies of Hamlet and Laertes in the symmetry that we keep talking about of the, the fact that they're these two sons with these totally broken hearts just trying to manifest their their grief or their revenge in whatever way. Like, I think it does become a weird competition, but only because their hearts are both authentically breaking. You know what I mean? And so it is it is the thing of like, yeah, it is a fight, but the fact that I do think Horatio laying on hands is suggested and the fact that Hamlet's response is like, okay, well, you want to fucking go? I loved her, you know? Like, the, I think that's totally it. I think that's totally it, is that it, it's Hamlet's defense is that, or Hamlet's next move in the fight is that, I suppose. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that they're both just, they're hysterical. I mean, they're like, they're ratcheting up. They're both topping each other emotionally, you know what I mean? The whole thing is just like an absolute... Yeah. Um, you know, it's like a primal spectacle. It's yeah. absolutely crazy for the people watching. Super, yeah, and that's super helpful to kind of think about and talk through. It's always yeah. interesting when you're in a Shakespeare play and your character suddenly doesn't say anything else for yeah. like the rest of the scene. So like that, that is like what I am attempting to track sort of like, because you're, you're both right. Like 
we take as read that they both feel this lost love for this person that is believed on on both of their parts so like for this individual who is for this one individual who is so sorely grieving like yeah it, it's hard to it's hard to contend with figuring out why he doesn't say anything else I, I, I don't know. I mean, and of course, like as the care as the person playing Laertes, it just feels so incredibly ghoulish and just mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. again challenging. So yeah. yeah, so it's helpful to think about and kind of like hear the other parts of the scene as I would continue to work on it in the imaginary production or whatever. In the sure. imaginary, I mean, in the imaginary production. No, go ahead, Julia. I was just just gonna say because, like, I mean, it is so like Hamlet just takes up so much space. And like, I think it could just be like a deep like revulsion with like perhaps what he thinks is a performance of grief by a person who's been pretending to be mad all this time, you know? Yeah, to, but truthfully, that's what it feels like. But because it's Hamlet the play, it's, 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 and I mean, but like, hey, this is sort of, we discussed this yesterday. It's like, I myself have baked into me a person who's working on the play Hamlet my own sort of like self-judge that's like, well, I don't want to come for Hamlet too hard. You know, like, and it sort of pops well, up. I mean, it feels exactly, it does feel exactly like that. Yeah. And for I mean, sure. like, it's, it's interesting. And like, I'm not like, we're having a conversation here. So you tell me if I'm overstepping my line or whatever, but yeah. I, I mean, it also feels like, like he knows that he has a plan to kill this man anyway. Yes. Like come in earlier and I'm like, oh, like, sure. Cool. You, you, yeah, you fucking roll around in the dirt and like throw yourself on my dead sister. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. For Olivia. Sure. And, and Olivia. he's had, and he's had poison to kill him since he left France. Yeah. Like this isn't just like this guy this comes in and suddenly he wants to kill him. Function no. from a mountebank. Who's going to um, kill someone in this family? I'm just back with my hit single, An Unction from a Mountebank. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it slaps. Olivia, read the imaginary production. I think that my, I think revulsion is a great word. It's a word we've used a bunch and it feels seminally appropriate in Act 5. My offering in the imaginary production, I think, would be that while you're experiencing said revulsion, after Hold Off Thy Hand, I Love to Feel the 40,000 Brothers, What Wilt Thou Do For Her? The fact that Claudius's next line, oh, he is mad Laertes, is directed at you, suggests to me that you have either not let go or that you are making another move yeah. toward him even. Do you know what I mean? And so, and then Gertrude, for the love of God, forbear him. That's Hamlet's parents going, he's crazy, he's crazy. Like, don't do it, yeah. don't do it, don't do it. And then Hamlet is still doing swoons show me what thou do is the same thing of like no 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 come on let's do it let's fucking do it because hamlet is going is that's that's hamlet taking it to the next level and going crazy and i would argue that and then gertrude still this is mere madness like you know the the continued the continued pleading for hamlet that the parents do suggests that this could be a really really hot strange interaction in this grave you know that like this is a continual move of physical tension that is happening. And I think that because you don't speak in the rest of the scene after Hamlet's exit, after having, you know, after you, whatever we would have done after you letting go after Hamlet extricating himself, whatever, after Hamlet's exit, and then followed by Horatio on Claudius's, you know, orders. Mm. 
Because Laertes doesn't get another another piece of language while Claudius is tying up the bow here, to me that suggests that he sort of returns his attention to actual Ophelia, yeah, for for the last time, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that if we were staging it, I would build a moment for you and the actual corpse of Ophelia during and following that text of Claudius's, which would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask a stupid question? Yes, always. This is kind of for Isabel, but maybe for everyone. Would do you, like do you wear a sword to a funeral? Like, do you come armed to a funeral? A great question. <laughs> like, what's the that's, etiquette? That's such a. That's you know. The answer depends, <laughs> as, as, as all historical answers do. Um, if you're in like your fancy dress and you're going to a funeral, then you would wear a sword. But I don't know the specific. Um, this is a Catholic funeral. I don't. I don't know the, like all the Catholic rules about your fancy dress in 1600 to a funeral. I, so someone else does. It, for this play, I would have said no, and I would have just straight up said like, "I'm gonna choke. I'm gonna strangle him." Yeah. Is I ask because it was sort of like obviously like we're in this grave like it has to be physical like we can't get but I also like the idea of Laertes being such like an honorable person is like he would like even though he's gonna poison him with a poisoned like rapier in the next scene it's like the idea of like fighting when we are at like uneven like to take out it to take out a knife and kill me now would not be like how Laertes would want mm-hmm. it to go and also like no we can't do that and like I bet it, Hamlet's probably armed but I also don't think that he is as adept a fighter to think like oh I should take this out I also yeah. don't think he like actually wants to kill Laertes in this moment he's just like you know flailing like the weird yeah. whirl of legs that he is but they have swords they do the bit where they try to draw it and then the hilt hits there's the not no space the <laughs> and then they yeah. like, and then and then they get like locked together yeah. and they end up like face to face and lip to lip and it's like yep. very weirdly <laughs> into like a whole thing. and the rest of the scene <laughs> hamlet and laertes are just like it's almost <laughs> kissing yes. just, like, and crying into that's why yeah mouth. that's why they don't speak is because i'm snotting directly into your mouth love into you. your mouth and but, it's like, you. but it's like and, working though yeah it works well, for us and then they kiss yeah. We are well met. I, I feel like, you know, also the element of like, it's still like about Ophelia and like there's something about like disrespecting her mm-hmm. in that moment by like getting too violent. Maybe I will be- use my hands though to choke him to death. Yeah, but that's that's just regular funeral shit, you know? Like you, you, you grab any, you know, like you're like, hey, that's just fun. Security, bam, you like whap, whap her down by the neck, you know? I, I feel like also the, the difference between like getting heated in the moment and getting physical versus being like, yeah, I could I could plan to kill him at her funeral. Like I feel like those are two different, two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just wondering because like you know I don't know since we were talking about like what what are they both doing. You know, and like obviously it's Hamlet's a, just like, you know, pacing like a. Sim. It's a worthwhile. It's um, a worthwhile question for Hamlet because he just got back and he didn't know he was going to a funeral. So Hamlet could very well be armed because he just stumbled on this funeral. Yeah. But I think the once we're here, I think the thing about the disrespecting Ophelia's grave totally, and just the thing is like it does want to be so. Well, and I mean, Shakespeare gives us the, the language, hold off your hand, but like it, no matter what, it's a messy 
it's a messy and uh, and I think a continuously physical altercation. And I think that as physical as Laertes is, Hamlet's text is doing the job of rejoinder. You know what I mean? Is that I think they're fighting in the two. I mean, it's honestly perfect. Like, I think that they're fighting in the two separate ways that these men know how to fight. One of them is a one of them is words and one of them is fists. Yep. That's like they're doing what they know how to do. And so with that being said, hashtag naked and alone. With that being said, let's roll on into five two, the thrilling conclusion. Let's do this thing. You do remember all the circumstance. Remember it, my lord. Sir, in my heart, there was a kind of fighting that would not let me sleep. Rashly, and praise be rashness for it, let us know our indiscretion sometimes serves us well when our deep plots do pall. And that should learn us, there's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough-hewn them how, the, how we will. That is most certain. Up from my cabin, my sea gown scarfed about me in the dark, groped I to find out them, where I found Horatio. A royal knavery, an exact command. My head should be struck off. It's possible. Here's the commission. Read it at more leisure. But wilt thou hear now how I did proceed? I beseech you. I sat me down, devised a new commission, wrote it fair, an earnest conjuration from the king, as England was his faithful tributary, that on the view and knowing of these contents, he should those bearers put to sudden death, not striving time allowed. So, Guildenstern and Rosencrantz, go to it. Why, man, they did make love to this employment. They are not near my conscience. Why, what a king is this? Does it not think thee? Stand me now upon he that hath killed my king and whored my mother, popped in between the election and my hopes, thrown out his angle for my proper life, and with such cousinage is not perfect conscience to quit him with this arm. It must shortly... It must be shortly known to him from England what is the issue of the business there. It will be short. The interim's mine. And a man's life no more than to say one. But I am very sorry, good Horatio, that to Laertes I forgot myself. For by the image of my cause I see the portraiture of his. Peace, who comes here? Your lordship is right welcome back to Denmark. I humbly thank you, sir. Dost know this waterfly? No, my good lord. Mm, thy state is the more gracious, for tis advice to know him. Sweet lord, if your lordship were at leisure, I should impart a thing to you from his majesty. I will receive it, sir, with all diligence of spirit. Put your bonnet to his right use, tis for the head. I thank your lordship, it is very hot. No, believe me, tis cold, the wind is northerly. It is indifferent cold, my lord, indeed. But yet methinks it is very sultry and hot for my complexion. Exceedingly, my lord, it is very sultry. As twere, I, I cannot tell how. My lord, his majesty bade me signify to you that he has laid a great wager on your head. Sir, this is the matter. I beseech you, remember. Nay, good my lord, for my ease and good faith. Sir, here is newly come to court Laertes. Believe me, an absolute gentleman, full of most excellent differences. What imports the nomination of this gentleman? Of Laertes. Of him, sir. You are not ignorant of what excellence Laertes is. I dare not confess that lest I should compare with him in excellence, but to know a man well were to know himself. I mean, sir, for his weapon. What's his weapon? Rapier and dagger. That's two of his weapons, but well. The king, sir, hath laid, sir, that in a dozen passes between yourself and him, he shall not exceed you three hits. 
He hath laid on twelve for nine, and it would come to immediate trial if your lordship would vouchsafe the answer. Sir, I will walk here in the hall. If it pleases his majesty, it is the breathing time of day with me. Let the foils be brought, the gentleman willing, and the king hold his purpose. I will win for him, and I can. If not, I will gain nothing but my shame and the odd hits. Shall I deliver you in so? To this effect, sir, after what flourish your nature will. I commend my duty to your lordship. You will lose, my lord. I do not, I do not think so. Since he went into France, I have been in continual practice. I shall win at the odds. But thou wouldst not think how ill I'll hear about my heart. But it is no matter. If your mind dislike anything, obey it. I will forestall their repair hither and say you are not fit. Not a whit. We defy augury. There's a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it be now, tis not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now, yet it will come. The readiness is all. Since no man of aught he leaves knows what is to leave betimes. Let be. Okay, tiny pause, the just there before we get the crew in here. Oh, an absolute gentleman. Speaking of the comedy rocking of hard in Act Five, it's just like Shakespeare, these choices, these people that we don't meet until the show is almost over. Also, like, I mean, I will just say that I'm not the it's a gambly piece of casting, even for something like this to have Ophelia come back to life in this particular way. And there is something very spooky about Zoe, about it being your voice saying you're welcome back to Denmark. I was yeah, like, not, ah. not gonna lie. It's not great going from like leaping into her grave and like fighting her brother at her <laughs> funeral to being like, ha, 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 fuck you, you dick bag. It's actually pretty damn hot out. Not the best. I love it. Um, I love it. So, um, I just play every character from here on out. That's right. That's just how it's every guy, everyone is you. Um, it's like those memes where, like, the, the whatever the character is turns around and then it's Nigel Thornberry's face. <laughs> but, like, but, like, you are in love with Nigel Thornberry, which I am. I mean, yeah, that's that's how this this production is Thornberry based. Um, uh, <laughs> there's something really intense to me at the top of this scene about Hamlet having the literal paper that Claudius sent for the order of his death and for him pulling that out and being like, oh, yeah, you want to see it? It's literally right here. And so, you know, I mean, like we've we've spent the whole play. It just feels like such a gnarly kick in the teeth of like, yeah, we've really arrived at the end game here of like for the, so much of the play. We were searching for proof that he even did the first murder. And now in your hand, you have the piece of paper that's like fucking kill Hamlet. And it's sort of by the by, you know, it's like, yeah, this is here. If you want to check that out, you know, it's like because this is the scene that takes us to. There's this, you know, if it be not to come, there's a whole, the mood of this. Yeah, talk to me, Julia. Well, cause I think I, I and I wanna like, cause this to me is why I love How All Occasions so much mm-hmm. is because he doesn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he's, it feels like he's been meditating this whole time. Like he just comes <laughs> in and he's like, he's like, I'm ready now. I'm just gonna live my life here. And when, when he looks me in the face, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it. You know, he's, he's, mm-hmm. and that I think is why 
the end for me is so beautiful is that he doesn't go into that room to kill Claudius. Like he's not about to go in to kill Claudius. He's about mm-hmm. to go in to try to patch things over with Laertes. And like, yeah. it just so happens that like, that is the time when Claudius decides to show himself, to, you know. Yeah. The, yeah. There's no more, there's no more thinking about like, you know, the readiness is all I'm ready. I'm ready to kill him whenever whenever the moment it's presents itself, whenever he's praying again on it by himself, you know, whenever, whenever the moment is, is here. There's just something so powerful about a play so relentlessly in pursuit of the best outcome, this like outcome that you are so passionately desiring for the whole play. And then for us to arrive at the critical moment in act five and for instead the choice to be actually, I release the outcome. Yeah. I mean like that to me is it like we defy augury, like we defy like it's so it's such a weird thing to say from somebody who saw his father's ghost like yeah however many days ago you know um I mean this is my favorite part of the play um and I've said before my favorite line is cut in this one but like I I understand why (laughs) um and I'm not I'm not begging to bring it back or anything but it's uh when he's like tis but foolery it is such a kind of gain giving as would perhaps trouble trouble a woman because he's like, oh, I, that would not think how ill I'll hear about my heart. And Horatio's like, uh, you okay, bro? And he's like, oh, no, no, it's it's just but foolery. But it is mm-hmm. such a kind of foolery as would perhaps trouble a woman. Like, yeah. give it, given sort of like how we saw Ophelia die, you know, and like how we saw her madness end and, and you know. Mm-hmm. Your, I want to return to your thing of it feels like he's been meditating because that is so it. And I feel like that is so the energy that he comes into this fight with of like, I feel like even that's even under since he went into France, I've been in continual practice of like, yeah. I don't know, there's something about like, no, I've just Not, actually yeah. been preparing for this moment and uh, like continually, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've been, we've been joking about it this whole time, but like naked and alone. Yeah. Like literally you know? of just, just like, sort of like mm-hmm. what else do I have? I, I have nothing. And then Ophelia's dead. And he's like, I really have nothing. I have nothing. And the and thing I'm, is, and I'm like, here. Right. Right. And the dramatic movement of the play, like the growth of the play is from someone who said to be or not to be two acts ago Mm -hmm. to someone who says to someone who is wise enough and mature enough to be able to say, since no man of aught he leaves knows what is to leave but time sleppy. Like that is that is wisdom. That's maturity. Because the thing is, that's it. That's a different that's a different relationship to death that we've yeah. gained in, in the intervening acts. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's why it's a great play. Yeah. Is because it's not a play about somebody like what a fucking boring, we always criticize Hamlet for not doing it, you know, for not doing mm-hmm. it. But like, what a fucking boring play if he sees the ghost of his father and then stabs his uncle through the neck the next day. Well, what a terrible play. Well, but instead, the thing is like, that's that's just a revenge tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> Those exist. That's why yeah. this is more than that. Yeah. And, and yeah, this is it. This speech is it. This weird in prose speech is, is it for me. Um, And I also, I want to correct myself yesterday because I think I I went on and on about, uh, about Hamlet. Uh, I miss it remembered since he went into France as like, since I went to England. Oh Um, yeah. So I, I misremembered that. But so I want to retroactively correct myself, but also there's, there's a confidence here that we haven't seen in him. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that's why I, I also, another reason that I love the, the, um, 
as would perhaps trouble a woman is because this feels like the most masculine he's been. In mm, interesting. Life. It feels like he settled into his, his manhood in a different way in, in this scene. I think that's a really interesting read of it. I think, I think all of that is true. I think it's, I think it's age and calm. This is peace. He's, you know what I ready mean? For battle. He's, he, he knows he has to yeah. go to battle and, you know, weirdly the, the, the battle that he's about to go into is, is, you know, a play fight with, uh, with well, someone who he's trying to win back, but he's the readiness right, is all but it's ready. It's just such a brilliant dramatic choice that you can only reach the end of the play when we release our need to get to the end. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing of like, that's Shakespeare going, oh, the end that we thought we were driving for. I actually don't care about that end anymore. And then the end comes, yeah. but, but only because we've gotten to, I've actually released it. I'm ready. It doesn't matter, you know? And also like in, in the rest of this, this, since we see him after this sort of like meditative, you know, spiritual journey that he goes on where like, you know, somebody opens up his chakras and suddenly he sees everything clearly. The Tao um, of Hamlet. Yeah. The Tao of Hamlet. We don't see him critic like we don't see him. Oh, he does say whoring, whoring my mother. Never mind. I take yes. that back. <laughs> I was, I was going to make a cool statement about how uh, he doesn't. No matter how peaceful we get, we're never going to pa- get past whoring my mother. Yeah. But I, I think he he does like take the blame out of her. he does forgive her a little bit in this last part, you know? Yeah, like he doesn't we'll, say we'll get he, to it. Yeah. The, the, the onus the onus in that statement of whoring my mother is on Claudius. Claudius. It is not yeah. like she is a detestable and like backstabbing woman. It she is a like mm-hmm. it is she was whored out by mm-hmm. my uncle. Like she she was made that by him. It, it like mm-hmm. sort of changes the object subject changes a little bit, mm-hmm. which, you know, mm-hmm. I think is, is Hashtag as, progress. Go- as good. Yeah. As <laughs> yes. good as he's going to get <laughs> as good as this horrible man. Is this little get. boy. That's right. That's right. And uh, just so Horatio, be sure and flag us when we get to the part where you're like, this is where my mind explodes. Re Horatio. Are we there yet? Well, it's the nature of the scene. It's the sequencing mm-hmm. first that blows my mind because that's all well and good that you've been on your journey. But all I know is that you sent me a letter that says, deliver this letter to the king and then get away as fast as if he was going to kill you because I've got shit to lay down. And then we go for a stroll in a grave and it, it just doesn't, it doesn't track to me why they don't immediately talk about the circumstances of why they've gotten back together. And there's well, a whole I, scene that is 5-1. I mean, I think they were, my interpretation that you can feel free to disagree with me on this is that they were getting to it because he says at the very beginning, so you remember everything that I said before. And it feels to me like they were like halfway through the story where he was just sort of like, okay, I got from leaving the house to realizing something was wrong and sneaking around on the ship and trying to find their letter. And then they were interrupted by the gravedigger singing. And he's like, yo, like, I'm trying to tell you a story about how I sent my two friends to their death. Like, what a weirdo this dude is just like digging and singing. And then the whole scene, you know, 5-1 happens. And then we're back and it's just sort of like, okay, I've calmed down now. I've done my, <laughs> I meditated a little bit. I'm feeling good. Um, you remember where we were in the story, right? Like, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just hard for me to compass how Horatio is standing by for like five minutes of conversation with a grave digger that is 
in the full text, Hamlet making jokes about worms and logic, logically like declining the 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 rate of things decaying. Meanwhile, there's really hot news that's been that's been being withheld. And in the scene, he's like, also, I wrote this thing that's going to kill Rosencrantz and Guild, and Horatio says basically nothing. There's like basically no pushback. It's just really hard to compass the the turn because. Hamlet comes back a changed person and Horatio doesn't comment on it. And that's what's difficult, I think, for me in approaching the scene and then moving it forward to the end. I think the only way, I think the game with Horatio is so about omittance because he doesn't have a linear, like psychologically realistic arc. I think that it has to be a matter of the actor filling in the gaps in whatever way makes it track for you. Like, I think the opportunity of Horatio is that it really is sort of a project of invention about, about what your role in Elsinore has become since Hamlet left you here and where your kind of emotional loyalties lie now. Because obviously you're still really emotionally charged about Hamlet because we're going to have to see that in the latter half of 5-2. Of but I think also we have to ask ourselves the question, like, how has Horatio been changed through this experience of being adjacent to Ophelia through all of Acts 4 and 5, you know, of kind of like, what have you seen that has, now you know more about what's been going on in his own family than Hamlet. So I don't know, I, there's lots going on there too. Sure. To, to place it in terms, of, in terms of the text, I think the thing that really is the most difficult for me because like I feel like a choice has to be made here, mm-hmm. which is when Hamlet says, I sat me down, devised a new commission, wrote it fair, an earnest conjuration from the king mm-hmm. that these two should be put to sudden death. Horatio has, why, what a king is this? And it's hard for me because you can't play both the king that Hamlet is pretending to be when he writes that order mm-hmm. and actual Claudius's order to kill Hamlet. And so I just, I don't know which one it's referenced to. And if it's referenced to Hamlet pretending to be the king to kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, mm-hmm. then it feels like Horatio is balking at mm-hmm. this rash decision. But if it's related to the paper that he's holding, mm-hmm. then it's a reaction to Claudius, who we already know we don't like. But I don't know, it's... I think it, I think, well, what we would have to do then, and I'm interested if Isabel has thoughts about this, about this conundrum as well. I think that what we would have to do is make, is, is track through what each of those choices gets us and then decide, you know what I mean? Because when you did it just in that read, why, what a king is this? I heard it as a kind of cautionary, slightly tugging on the reins of Hamlet Horatio moment of, that would be a pretty fucked up king thing to do, like as in the thing Hamlet has done. I read it as a little critique of Hamlet rather than as a response to Claudius. And I think that's totally appropriate. It, that that enriched the scene for me, hearing, hearing it as a, that's a crazy thing to do, especially because, uh, especially because Hamlet is not shy about not feeling guilt about Rosengild. I think you're okay. It's okay to, we don't lose any, Horatio love for him pushing back hard on that, you know, because why man, they did make love to this employment. They are not near my conscience is such a crazy thing to say. Yeah, I feel like you're allowed to, pu- says, you're allowed to push back. He lays more hate on it. He says things like, you know, like they, this, they they gained this death by their own insinuation or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, I feel like my, maybe it's, maybe it's my reaction to Hamlet suddenly being 
what actually appears to me as crazy, where before he said that he was faking it, and now he comes back and he gets in a fight and he jumps in the grave and he's like playing with bones and he's talking about killing his friends. That like I, my natural response is concern. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lack of place to put that. And so maybe well, that's just like my job of, of reconciling that with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think also like people who showed concern for Hamlet before were Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And perhaps the thing that's protecting Horatio is that he made an oath mm-hmm. and that he knows, but you know, but also like he's been at Elsinore this whole time, like, you know, going outside when Claudia said, go outside and watch Ophelia and like doing that kind of stuff. Perhaps there's like a, a self-protectiveness there. I don't know. I just think, I think we have to, let, let's have eyes on it as we move through the act and decide how to reconcile it. Because to me, hearing it just then, why what a king is this as a critique of Hamlet didn't it's not so black and white uh, to my ear I wasn't suddenly concerned that you didn't care about Hamlet anymore or that it was going to keep you from expressing grief about his passing you know in the end so I think that's fine I think I think we have to just keep eyes on what we need Horatio to give us that no one else can give it like how how he needs to be positioned at the end here and sort of work backward really because I feel like the job of the actor playing Horatio would have to be a sort of one of mapping backward and that's where my anxiety on it is coming from it's like you Mm -hmm. know I don't I don't think that the things that happen in this scene with Horatio are important to the scene that the audience Mm -hmm. understand them but Horatio is the one who's alive at the end and this is where he starts to come back into the play after being pretty Mm -hmm. silent Yeah, I think the Tetris really has to sort of go backward. But yeah. I think that I think that that critique is doesn't hurt us and and feels enriching. So let's like hold it and sort of see what happens as the scene develops and see what we need. And maybe we can come to some maybe we can come to some offerings for him. <laughs> and then we're joking about Osric. Just having a little fun at the expense of a courtier who hasn't mattered until this moment who didn't arrive until the end of act four i don't know i kind of like this because it gives you this is another one of those things that like weirdly gives you a picture of what hamlet was like before all this happened yeah and like you know he's a a kid running around the castle being like oh my god these stuffy people are so stupid but also in this scene he says for the first time that he wanted to be king yeah he stood between the election and my hopes. my hopes. Yeah. It's such a weird thing because like weird to be getting a picture of, of before mm-hmm. the ghost life, like right now, it's weird to get that picture. And it's important, just like the gravedigger stuff, your, your stuff with the gravediggers rather. It's important to remind ourselves, I think, that we can also still have fun with language just for the sake of having fun with language. You know what I mean? I think also it's a reminder that like Hamlet, you know, like we've said this whole time, like Hamlet is not Laertes, you know, Hamlet is not Mm -hmm. a warrior. Hamlet is weirdly kind of a class clown, an intellectual and a class clown, you know? And like when he says like, "I'll, I'll throw away everything that like I identify with as myself, you know, that's easy to say, but you can't completely do it. And like, when it comes down to it, like he is 
a sarcastic boy, you know, and, well, and, and uh, like, go ahead. No, no, just also you having said that, that brings me back to sort of our point about what it means to, to have gotten all the way to what is to leave but times let be of the fact that like, I think now we have actually come far enough to realize that not only is it not helpful to try and throw away yourself in the pursuit of like this sole idea of revenge, it's also like not possible and not useful. Yeah. Especially, <laughs> you know? like, especially coming out of five one, you know? Yeah. And it's just sort of like, okay, like, like I, I, I did that weird thing. I like jumped into Ophelia's grave. Like I'm grieving for Ophelia. I'm embarrassed about my behavior, but like, there is a kind of Zen, you know? There is, like, there is, there is. And now that we've arrived at it, now that we've arrived at it, let's push forward with notably this Laertes apology as it pushes into the rest of the scene. So if folks are on deck, let's move forward into everybody comes in. Let's bring it in from Claudius. Come Hamlet, come and take this hand from me. Give me your pardon, sir, I have done you wrong. But pardoned as you are a gentleman, as presence knows, and you must needs have heard how I am punished with a sore distraction. What I have done that might your nature, honor, and exception roughly awake, I here proclaim was madness. Sir, in this audience, let my disclaiming from a purposed evil free me so far in your most generous thoughts that I have shot my arrow o'er the house and hurt my brother. I'm satisfied in nature, whose motive in this case should stir me most to my revenge, but in my terms of honor, I stand aloof and will no reconcilement till by some elder masters of known honor, I have a voice and precedent of peace to keep my name ungored, but till that time... I do receive your offered love like love and will not wrong it. I embrace it freely and will this brother's wager frankly play. Give us the foils, come on. Come, one for me. I'll be your foil, Laertes. In mine ignorance, your skill shall, like a star of the darkest night, stick fiery off indeed. You mock me, sir. No, by this hand. Cousin Hamlet, you know the wager? Very well, my lord. Your grace has laid the odds on the weaker side. I do not fear it. I have seen you both, but since he is better, we have therefore odds. This is too heavy. Let me see another. This likes me well. Set me the stoops of wine upon that table. If Hamlet give the first or second hit, or quit in answer of the third exchange, let all the battlements their ordnance fire. The king shall drink to Hamlet's better breath, and in the cup and union shall he throw, richer than that which four successive kings in Denmark's crown have worn. Give me the cups. And let the kettle to the trumpets speak, the cannons to the heavens, the heaven to earth. Now the king drinks to Hamlet. Come begin. Come on, sir. Come, my lord. One. No. Judgment. A hit, a very palpable hit. Well, again. Stay. Give me drink. Hamlet, this pearl is thine. Here's to thy health. Give him the cup. I'll play this bout first. Set it by a while. Come. What say you? A touch, a touch, I do confess it. Our son shall win. Here, Hamlet, take my napkin, rub thy brows. The queen carouses to thy fortune, Hamlet. 
Good madam. Gertrude, do not drink. I will, my lord. I pray you pardon me. It's too late. I dare not drink yet, madam. By and by. Come, let me wipe thy face. My lord, I'll hit him now. And yet it is almost against my conscience. Come for the third, Laertes, you do but dally. I pray you pass with your best violence. I am afeard you make a wanton of me. Say you so. Come on. Nothing neither way. How that you know? Part them. They're incensed. Nay, come on. Look to the queen there. Ho. They bleed on both sides. How is, my lord? How is, Laertes? Why oh, is the woodcock to mine own spring? Springe? Osric? <laughs> I'm justly killed with mine own treachery. How does the queen? She swoons to see them bleed. No, no. The drink, the drink. Oh, my dear Hamlet, the drink, the drink. I am poisoned. Oh, villainy! Ho, let the door be locked. Treachery, seek it out. It is here, Hamlet, Hamlet, thou art slain. No medicine in the world can do thee good. The treacherous instrument is in thy hand, unbated and envenomed. My mother's poisoned. I can no more. The king, the king's to blame. The point and venom too, then venom to thy work. Oh, yet defend me, friends. I am but hurt. Hear, thou incestuous, murderous, damned Dane. Drink off this potion. Is thy union here? Follow my mother. He's justly served. It is a poison tempered by himself. Exchange forgiveness with me, noble Hamlet. Mine and my father's death come not upon thee, nor thine on me. Heaven make thee free of it. I follow thee. I am dead, Horatio. Wretched queen, adieu. You that look pale and tremble at this chance, that are but mutes or audience to this act, had I but time. As this fell sergeant, Death is strict in his arrest. Oh, I could tell you. But let it be. Horatio, I am dead. Thou livest. Report me and my cause aright to the unsatisfied. Never believe it. I am more an antique Roman than a Dane. Here's yet some liquor left. As thou art a man, give me the cup. Let go by heaven, I'll have. Oh, God. Horatio, what a wounded name. Things standing thus unknown shall I leave behind me. If thou didst ever hold me in thy heart, absent thee from felicity a while, and in this harsh world draw thy breath in pain to tell my story. What warlike noise is this? Young Fortinbras with conquests come from Poland. The ambassadors of England gives this warlike volley. Oh. I die, Horatio. The potent poison quite o'ercrows my spirit. I cannot live to hear the news from England, but I do prophesy the election lights on Fortinbras. He has my dying voice. So tell him with the occurrence more and less which I have solicited. The rest is silence. Now cracks a noble heart. Midnight, sweet prince, and flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Where is this sight? What is it you would see? 
devout of World War One procedure search. This quarry cries on havoc. The sight is dismal, and our affairs from England come too late. The ears are senseless that should give us hearing to tell his commandment is fulfilled, that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. If order that these bodies high on the stage be placed to view and let me speak to the yet unknowing world of how these things came about, so shall you hear of carnal, bloody and unnatural acts of accidental judgments, casual slaughters of deaths put on by cunning and forced cause and in this upshot, purposes, mistook, fallen on the advantage that is all this can I truly deliver. Let us haste to hear it and call the noblest, noblest to the audience. For me, with sorrow, I embrace my fortune. I have some rights of memory in this kingdom, which now to claim my vantage doth invite me. Of that I shall also have cause to speak. But four captains bear Hamlet like a soldier to the stage, for he was likely, had he been put on to have proved most royal. And for his passage, the soldier's music and the right of war speak loudly for him. Such a sight as this becomes the field, but here shows much amiss. Go, bid the soldiers shoot. Okay. There are so many things to unpick here, my fam. Thank you for just rolling right to the end. You know, I mean, again, like the play within a play thing, you know, that we talked about in act three, so much of the event of this is the tension between the watching and the onlookers and the thing that is happening in the center of the action, you know? So I'm just activating my imagination brain to think about what's what's happening between Hamlet and, her, and Laertes, but also what is happening on the fringe of the action here too. There's so many different things happening here. So else, just to quickly touch the Horatio thing, because we were just speaking about it before we heard the second half of the scene. To me, your observation that since Hamlet got back, he has felt you've been more concerned and he's felt more crazy to you. To me, that holds. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that feels like it holds. You know, I mean, the way that you speak about your grief at the end there and, oh, I mean, the, and I don't think it takes away from your desire to tell the story either, but I think that you can play what you, what you feel as the truth of that without it getting in the way of what you have to do. How did you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I very, very early on when, when you asked me to read for Horatio, I made a joke saying that I would just think that Hamlet had gone crazy when he saw the ghost and just play it like that the whole time through. And that was a joke. And it still is a joke. But I do think that that Horatio, we talk so much about his care for Hamlet and a lot of people put a queer reading onto it, which I think is based on certain pieces of language that um, mm -hmm. anyway, like I think that people read a lot into that. But I think mm -hmm. that the concern, the way that I read it, really is for his his mental well-being as a person who's grieving from the mm -hmm. first moment that they speak to each other. It's, it's concern about his grief. And I think mm -hmm. that that is what this play is about for, for Horatio, is watching his mm -hmm. best friend go mad with grief and die in his arms. 
Yeah. And the thing is, that language is just really important to uplift and sort of have hovering over the rest of this discussion, because what Horatio thinks the play is about ultimately is what the play is about in the sense that you are the person who has been tasked with telling the story. You know what I mean? So whatever Horatio's sort of mood is, even if it's kind of quiet, and I don't mean to say that, you know, that actor's choice dictates you know, the tone of the whole rest of the action, of course, but the, but that's a really significant thing of like, if you think that what you've been watching is somebody getting totally unwound by grief and now to a completely unsustainable, unsalvageable degree and then dies in your arms and you are so moved that you consider following do you think that, I mean, that's a, do you think that's a real active consideration? I am more an antique Roman than a Dane. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that there's an immediate overpowering sense of guilt at not having acted. Mm-hmm. Of the fact that you've actually been standing by this whole time and could have done something at many different junctures and now everybody's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that seems to me, I mean, the, the Roman, the Roman references is a, a servant following following through the suicide after the death of his master in battle, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And an antique, an antique Roman. Yeah. Is the, the suicide following your commander. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, okay. So let's leave that there for now, but I think that it, I think that that tracks. And then at the very end when Fortinbras, I mean, Hamlet having just said, I prophesied the election lights on Fortinbras, he has my dying voice. And then, is that what you think Horatio is referring to, to Fortinbras when he says, I could tell more about that or whatever? Like at the very end, I, I have more to say on that. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what else it could be other than not only like, you don't need to consider yourself an invader. Okay. And so many pieces of, so many things happen so quickly in this final unspooling it's important to kind of poke through them and just make sure that we know all of this language between Hamlet and Laertes at the top of the fight about being brothers, about brotherhood is so fucking sad and like ironic because of course, like it reminds me of what Julia said um, in the previous scene in the Ophelia's grave scene of like, I look at this man as my brother-in-law. And the thing is like, you would have been brothers. You could have been brothers. If this play had gone differently, you would be brothers. And, you know, there's just such a sad irony going into the fight with that on our lips, you know? Yeah, I think I, the actual forgiveness isn't until the second one. I think Mm -hmm. as I attempted to play it, the first Mm -hmm. one is like, I'm only forgiving you because I'm about to fucking send you to hell is the first one I, is what I would try. Yeah, yeah. But then obviously as, I don't know, I mean, I mean, I still stab him, so... But then, but then, yeah, I think very quickly after that, the sad dawning on me as well. Of- mm-hmm. As you're both dying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also as you are clocking what is happening with Claudius of the fact that like he set you up and didn't give a, get, didn't give a shit if you died. No. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that you, I think that the dawning awareness is that you are both caught in the mechanism of this bigger thing. Yeah. Fucking sucks. It does. Speaking of being caught in the mechanism of the bigger thing, Gertrude, talk to me about your talk to me about your drink choices. Well, 
something I realized when I was reading this again this morning is that she uses the informal thy only when talking to Hamlet. And when she talks to Claudius, she uses the very distant and formal you. So to me, that signifies that Mm. she's found where her loyalty lies and it's not with her husband Mm-hmm. And they don't speak to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks to her, but not mm-hmm. with her. <laughs> um, and I, I'm kind of divided because yeah. in a certain sense, I kind of think she knows that Claudius is going to try and kill Hamlet. And I think... Like, it's not hard to connect the dots. This guy likes poison. Like, if we're paying attention to the to the play that we saw before and connecting the dots and thinking about the grotesque and deformed poison body of Hamlet Sr., mm-hmm. I do wonder if the guilt and the regret has gotten to a point where there's no turning back and she knows something's up and perhaps by drinking and in a sort of way committing suicide, it's a way of publicly signaling how corrupt her husband is. Um, But on the other hand, on the other hand, (laughs) I could also see that she's just like kind of turned into a boozer (laughs) since all this shit has gone down. People do make that choice with her, don't they? I've I've definitely seen that production. Just as just for us to track the cup really quickly, I had a question, a linguistic question for for perhaps Isabel. This language that Claudius has on page, I think it's 156 into seven in the really weird Claudius moment of sort of setting the stage of all of this. And in the cup and union shall he throw richer than that which four successive kings in Denmark's crown have worn. And then the word union, you know, is that union here? Follow my mother. Can you talk about the word union in the scene? Yeah. So unfortunately, it's pronounced onion. That is unfortunate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, it's just it's a pearl. That's it's it's a. It's a pearl. Sometimes so, you get you know, the answer that you deserve, not the answer and you in want. The cup and <laughs> it's onion a g- shall I throw? <laughs> it's a Gibson. <laughs> it's got a little cocktail onion. Oh uh, well, because someone says, because he also says pearl. Cla- Claudia says pearl too later, and but so for me tracking it just there, I have literally never thought about it before seeing this play. But going through it just then, I was like, what are we throwing into the cup? What is this in the cup? It does get changed sometimes because it's pronounced onion, you know? <laughs> and in the cup and onion shall he throw richer than that which four successive kings in Denmark's crown have worn. Well, what can what could you change it to? Let's do some quick doctoring. What can we change it to that scans? That's I'm looking that's, I'm looking at the lexicon right now, and I've got quarto versions here that say uh U-N-I-C-E, like Eunice or or that's not better that feels like eunuch and i don't want it (laughs) that sounds like eunuch or the other the other one next to it is onyx Mm. that's closer what do you isabel what do you think do you guys in this cup a tiny eunuch throw (laughs) i will throw richer than that which more successive games very rich tiny eunuch yeah i'm not i'm not sure what's better i mean you know you, you can try and make that 
that that oh that you sound like it's sort of more on the liquid side and then it sounds mm. like you're not quite saying onion um mm. and onion it's unfortunate that there's already a and there um yes jewel jewel fits jewel is good jewel is good we just need two syllables in the cup of jewel let's just do a jewel shall he throw richer than that i mean that's fine because then we say pearl and to me i feel like the audience can be accounted like can be counted on to connect jewel and pearl sooner than they can be counted on to connect pearl and onion (laughs) i i I actually think i would um I would change it to this jewel that just okay. scans a little bit better than a jewel. And in the cup of this jewel, shall he throw richer than that? Yeah, that's good. I did. I did see a thing about this. Sort of gets back to like when when the fool and Lear calls Lear Nuncle. That, <laughs> that in in Elizabethan English there was like a um, the way that they they phrase the indefinite article was yeah. instead of putting when it was instead of saying an something yeah they would put an n in front of it if it began with a vowel, which is similar yeah. really to the way Irish the, the Irish language turns in. so in fact in, instead of an uncle a person you know a, yeah a, 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 an a, uncle his brother would be an uncle and instead of one apple you'd say a napple yeah 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 an onion an onion an onion I mean, well, thank you for explaining it because I had just never tracked that before. And I was like, because the reason that I got off on this, off on this, uh, on this Funyun track for us was just that um, the cup Gertrude drinks out of is in fact Hamlet's cup that Claudius threw the Funyun into. And so like in terms of trying to track Gertrude's motivation here, because obviously this is one of the great, I mean, you know, like Horatio, Gertrude is one of those people that folks make a million different choices about how she plays this scene. And I keep, you know, I mean, Ariana, you've, you have circled this whole time. Like she's such a mom, she's doing such mom things. You know, I, it feels like maybe that is in there of like, okay, well, like you just said, it's within the realm of possibility that, that Claudius is going to try to kill Hamlet. So are we saving him by drinking his wine before he can get to it? I, I do think there is a certain sense of like, I'm going to become his taster. Like I, I like. <laughs> My son's it's... deathly allergic to onions. So I'll take, <laughs> let me just take that. I, I also, there was something, this is like a totally batshit insane idea. And so just be like, Ariana, no. I can't but, wait. It's just so weird that Hamlet has the same name as his father, right? That's like, it is weird. So, oh my dear Hamlet to me, for some reason this time, Mm. I am poisoned is her like speaking to both of them. My dear Hamlet's look, I've been poisoned just like my dead husband. I think that's good. There's something like that just ties up the family. Look, we're all poisoned. Hooray. You know, I, I, I but yeah, I, I was just reading that first quarto scene with Horatio and the queen because mm. I was so intrigued. And there is an amazing line when Horatio says, like, the king tried to kill Hamlet, where the queen says, then I perceive there's treason in his looks that seem to sugar or his villainy, but I will soothe and please him for a time for murderous minds are always jealous. Whoa. So that's some, that's like deep cut Gertrude spy. <laughs> like, 
Like, That's a Gertrude you know? sexy spy thriller. Yeah, she's like gonna pull a honey pot on him or something, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For real. But I I just that is just making me think about this mm. like in a, mm. in such a different way. And again, I I can't I just can't get away from the the mother thing and the failed yeah. mother. So like, what do I do? I do the ultimate sacrifice and yeah. you know pull up. Drink. Drink the wine. Yeah, drink the wine. Save him. Save Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the the ultimate mom sacrifice. Exactly. Just step in front of that unforgivable curse, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's that's the move. That's the move. So the thing is, also like, I mean, besides the grave scene, like the last time she saw him, he was like, "Please, God, I beg of you, just don't go back to sleeping with my uncle." I, I'm talking to the ghost of my father. She's had a lot of thinking time while he was dilly-dallying around with some pirates to really think about everything, <laughs> all the horrible things that he said. I really, in light of that, I really like, Ariana, your thought about addressing old Hamlet at the same time. I think that's really nice, like knowing that your son was speaking to his ghost in front of you the last time you were really together. Well, and yeah, I, maybe I, the ghost is here now. <laughs> that's, I mean, I kind of had that. In yeah. the back of my mind that it's like there is a I also just just one last thing about her last line is that I I almost feel like she can die happy in a certain mm. sense because she mm-hmm. saved one young person although uh, not for long <laughs> not um, for long but she but, doesn't know but she doesn't know but but also I feel like in a strange way and this is so horrible but it's almost like her redemption in those final lines. Like she finds yeah. her, yeah. she finds her purpose, which was to be a protector. And she was, she did what she thought was right to yeah. do, to write what she had done wrong in her son's eyes. Yeah, It's horrible that of course, like <laughs> for the women in this play that immediately means death, <laughs> like death is their redemption. Like that's so fucked up, but. I, I do find something kind of happy, weirdly, yeah. about her her death, like a clarity somehow. Clarity, yeah. And there's like, well, and especially as it relates to the Claudius text. So because the th- because we never get a confrontation between Claudius and Gertrude or any kind of lucid because the truth never comes out between them. I feel like that's why people always hang so much significance on the final beats that they have like adjacent to each other in this scene. And the thing of come, come, let me wipe thy face. Okay. How does the queen, where is it? Where is it? I'm trying to find and somehow I lost it. Okay. No, I found it. The moment of the queen carouses to thy fortune, Hamlet. This is his cup, the cup with the Funyun in it. And the, the carouse moment you have the opportunity on that line to take Claudius in on purpose to see how he reacts, I think. And in whatever way that Claudius says, Gertrude, do not drink, the fact that whatever that is, is enough to make you say, I will, my Lord, I pray you pardon me. Like, I feel like there is a real opportunity for the truth to come out right there, you know, of just like, Oh, you don't want me to drink this? Okay, 
thanks. Thanks. That's all I needed. You know, like, I feel like there could be an opportunity for that. And then the thing is, this is an aside. It is the poisoned cup. It is too late. Claudius's loss of power in this, in that line is what really came out to me in that read of just the fact that this is a, suddenly if it becomes a power play between Gertrude and Claudius and she's testing him and she can tell that he's about to fucking poison her son. And then she goes for the cup anyway. That I, the happiness that you're speaking about feels like a really baller triumph moment to me, starting there of like, if you're calling his bluff and then he's absolutely powerless and gives that line to the audience because it means you're fucked. Because if Gertrude just drank this poisoned cup in front of us all, you are fucked. It's coming out in the next two minutes. No matter what goes down with Hamlet and Laertes, like we are on the clock now. I love that. I love that. It also just like, it makes for so much in between the lines communication. Mm. Yeah. Like physical communication on stage and storytelling. Like I just, I love that idea. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I think the, this, the coming apart of Claudius in this moment is pretty intense because the thing is you don't get a shit ton of language to do that with Patrick, but I feel like it is there, right? Of like, because that thing, if it's the poison cup, it is too late. Yeah. I'm just going to silently start having a panic attack. And then when the queen swoons, she's like, oh no, what? She doesn't want to see you bleed. I have to go. She swoons to see them bleed is such a... I really like to, to see the sort of the shit is slipping. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I'm looking for opportunities here based on how we played the beginning of Oh, My Offenses Rank. You know what I mean? Of all of that roiling guilt and panic and awfulness that is happening behind his kind of smooth, cool carapace as everything comes out into the open here. She swoons to see them bleed. No, no, the drink, the drink. And then she says it on her way out. She names it on her way out, which I think is that is that redemption that Ariana was speaking about. And then, and then, this would be something we'd have to flesh out with staging, of course. But as Laertes confesses, whatever you are doing, crawling around trying to find an exit on, oh, yet defend me, friends, I am but hurt. Yeah, no, it, I, yeah. It's a bit like Wiley e. Coyote running off the cliff. Yeah. Also, like, who are these friends? <laughs> like, right? That's they're what my, I've the, always they're wondered. The, they're, the, they're the Claudius crew, of course. Of course. You're just like looking at Osric, and Osric is like, absolutely no, bro. <laughs> like, Laertes. Are you kidding? Osric yeah. is like cradling layers. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Osric is like, I've actually, all I ever wanted to do was hold Laertes' head. So. This is a great day for me. <laughs> I just want to take a brief moment, if I may, to thank Isabel for cutting uh, the line. That He's Gertrude fat and scant of breath. He's fat and scant of breath. Because I just like don't need that right now. And I really appreciate it not being here. That's so funny. I literally almost, after you, after you guys read that beautiful read of the end of Act 5, I literally almost turned the mic on to say, but what about he's fat and scant of breath? Just such a bummer. No, like the, after ready. the first round, after the first round, and Claudius is like, he's going to win. And Gertrude's like, he's really fat. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things such with the fact bummer. that, well, it's like right after Osric leaves after the challenge too, when Horatio is like, you're going to lose. <laughs> you know, and then Hamlet's like, 
No, no, I've been practicing. No, I'm not. (laughs) Just because I tucked into a bunch of cookies on the pirate ship doesn't mean I can't still whoop ass. It's such a bummer. Fucking fat and scant of breath. Anyways, he's he's pretty good already, though. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. Laertes is just fucking tilted as fuck because he's wasn't expecting you to apologize. Yeah. Just imagining I'm just imagining that duel now as like Laertes is Sonic and Hamlet is Do- Dr. Robotnik and he's just like he's just like bulldozing Laertes with a tank and then they're like he this guy cuts. might win but he is out of breath. Now. I'm I'm for it. Laertes my love. If you could speak to me about about your death. And I know we said, you know, the first apology is for is for shit. And I agree. But when we get all the way to you're both dying, talk to me about exchange forgiveness with me, mine and my father's death, etc. I mean, what is there to say? It's it's uh, after everything we've been through. It feels impossible. <laughs> but this is uh, I don't know. I don't know. Truthfully, it's one of those actor moments where like in my heart as the performer contending with it, I'm like, fuck, no. But like you just have, I I feel like because I have that feeling about it, you sort of just have to, you have no choice but to fully invest in like, well, Mm -hmm. no, I I think you just kind of have to do what it, what it's, what it says really. I I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm with it. I mean, the thing that I only brought it up just because of, mine and my father's death come not upon thee. Like you don't have to, you don't have to absolve him for Polonius and you do it anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess maybe there's a, there must be a final moment then of, as we've talked about the recognition of, I mean, okay, well I do, I get them Hmm. at least once, but then like, I have to imagine that occurs. I look around, see the chaos that's begun to happen around Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the dawning of like, oh, as as everyone has already said very eloquently, like they could have been friends, like they could have been friends, like in another life, yeah, they could have actually like had a nice cry together about their dead dads and like sort of like all this horrible stuff. So I don't know. I, I feel like you have no other choice to do to mm-hmm. have a very quick like come to Jesus moment about yeah it. Yeah, I can't yeah. see another way around it, needless to say. Though though, though, I do still have vengeance in my heart in the moment, I don't think you can do that. I think you really have to come to Jesus really fast. That's the part of you that's a Jacobean. Yeah. Julia. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, like, it, it says to me that, like, to me, it has to be about the combat, too. And, like, you, you know, know obviously, like, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's sort of like, you've spoken so much and so eloquently about like Laertes being like a very physical being Mm -hmm. and like it feels to me like okay perhaps you don't forgive Hamlet in the first thing because you're like what the fuck dude but then there's like something about the fight that like and also of course the massive betrayal and poisoning but it feels like there's a sense of like oh I guess you are like an honorable foe <laughs> like and mm-hmm. just a, in an olivia way of like the honor <laughs> of of the battle i don't know i totally get that you know i yes i don't know it's weird like we've talked about laertes also being a fighter but i don't as we've worked on it together i don't think Laert- laertes i think is way more similar 
even just in like the lives they've led to Hamlet than I realized at first. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the honor thing. It's hard to say. I, hmm. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. I don't know. I I don't know that he cares that much about that. No, 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 no. I, I'm trying to figure it out too. I I think if I have an offering, if I have an offering on that, it's just really simple, which is that the continual theme of act five to me, one of them is about death itself as a fact, just being a total equalizer. And the thing is like, you are both on the way now. And so nothing really matters. Like nothing else really matters. You know what I mean? It's like, I think that there is something about, you really are brothers now, like no matter what else, like you're in the exact same situation. You can hold each other's hands at the very end here. And that is, I think that's one of the powerful gestures of the play really is that that's something that death does at the very end here is that it just wipes away the enmity of everything that came before because it is just a staggering fact you know yeah yeah Yeah, like hamlet comports himself honorably in the space and at the end of the day like if we're both on the way i guess i guess i can let go of the upset even at the very end which i didn't you know perhaps up until this moment i didn't want to but yeah mm-hmm. maybe it is just like well i guess maybe i'll experience the letting go too okay here mm-hmm. we go. isabel yeah. had a thing too on that yeah yeah i i think everything that you're saying about like death being an equalizer and and everyone sort of like just lets go at the end um and then i have something that's not as actable so you know this is like a true annoying dramaturgy comment but also like the functionality of Laertes' speech in here, like like structurally, is that it it, te- it signals to the audience that Hamlet is not going to hell after all. Because we just yeah. spent a, f- a few acts thinking that he was doing that. And that was really stressful for us as an Elizabethan audience because we like mm-hmm. Hamlet. Um, and and what's and, and what makes Hamlet different from like a, a Mac or a Richard is that they're going to hell. They're going straight to hell, like the ninth circle. They're not coming back. Whereas mm-hmm. Hamlet actually has a hope of going to heaven, and he gets this honorable um, funeral, like with cannons and stuff at the end. Um, and and inter- interestingly enough, uh, Laertes um, also is not going to hell. So they're going to go to heaven together. So, so they're going to be best friends in in heaven. So we can like go to therapy together. We're gonna have literally uh, go to therapy. We're gonna have necklaces that say "best friends in heaven." <laughs> I love that. That's great. We can like in- actually have time to like talk about this. And like, yeah, I hope you might guys- actually yeah. not be the best, but we'll see. I hope you guys have a long conversation with about your dads, facilitated by a professional in heaven, facilitated um, by our two dads. <laughs> Facilit- no, fun. not Polonius. It would take forever. Um, yeah, that's that's all really interesting. This this holding on to this notion of the fact that you're going to heaven. And I have a couple of final offerings here, really, just on the language in the scene, one of which is that I was just really aware listening to it of the way that Hamlet's language changes from I am dead, Horatio, Horatio, I am dead, thou livest, to in, in the following speech, I die, Horatio. You go backward from I'm dead to I die when it actually becomes like physically pertinently happening. And I just thought that was an interesting choice, perhaps indicating how that's happening in the body. But like I had never noticed 
the way that that language happens and I became sort of aware of it. And equally, I don't know if this resonates with you, Julia, but in the chunk on 161, heaven make thee free that I follow thee, the first real I'm dying chunk, something that I really felt, and maybe it's because of the way that this text is punctuated. I'm not sure I've ever, I've, you know, I'm, I'm only ever, I don't know, what, something about the way that it happened made me aware of it. The, the text, had I but time, as this fell sergeant death is strict in his arrest, oh, I could tell you, but let, be, let, let it be. And obviously the echo of let it be that we've already had in the act is significant, but like the thing that I really heard was, oh, I could tell you, and then you decide not to tell us. And the thing, I mean, obviously the question that is probably unanswerable is like, well, what were you going to tell us? But the thing that occurred to me, and I don't know if this resonates, but the thing that occurred to me is that this felt to me like, this feels to me like your matching moment with Ophelia's to have seen what I've seen, see what I see. It almost feels to me like another sort of teleporting moment of like, you are the person who has spent this whole play talking about what it might be like to die. And now you're physically dying. And maybe you can see something that we can't see. I don't know. It just felt like a potentially sort of spooky and metaphysical moment. And then in your final breaths, you return yourself to the business of the country instead of saying whatever it was you were going to tell us. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's always been a kind of like callback to how all occasions of, you know, I leave my shame and my pride here. Like, I don't need to explain to you the reasoning behind all of my mistakes. I, I made my apology to the person who I needed to apologize to. And I made that in a genuine way. And he forgave me and I don't need, and then I, and I did the thing that my father asked me to do. And I don't need anything more than that. My pride is gone. I, I fulfilled my, my fate. I mm -hmm. completed my purpose. And um, then my last purpose is like, as the last, you know, royalty here is to be like, mm -hmm. let me, let me do what my father would have done and take care of his country. Um, yeah. Which we didn't do for this whole play, which I didn't do for this whole play which and, none of us were able to do. For this and since you've invoked how all occasions, it makes me think of the fact that I've, I've always really struggled with the fact that Hamlet uses, you know, one of his last breaths to name Fortinbras as his preferred next King of Denmark. But actually it makes so much sense in the way that these three young men sort of refract each other and comment on each other and act as foils for each other. The fact that like, your thing was, well, Fortinbras is everything that I wish I was. He's doing exactly what I wish I could do incredibly effectively. And the news that he's outside your house at this very moment is just so like, fantastic. Let him walk in here. Like, fucking take it, man. And Fortinbras has a line in this text uh, that Isabel, I don't think I've ever heard kept before, which is, I have some rights of memory in this kingdom. Talk to me about that. I've never heard that line before in, in a performed text. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit ambiguous what that is, but it seems like the most clear answer is that, you know, at the beginning of the play, we learned that um, old, old Fortinbras and old Hamlet basically fought to death here. So I think he's kind of talking about that. So it's kind of his sort of gentle, because Fortinbras is, very, is a very gentle figure. So it's kind of his gentle, like, and so now my revenge is complete too. 
but he's like so mild about it and, and we want Fortinbras to be king because mm-hmm. like all all of the all of the all the Danes really really fucked it up so maybe it's time for someone new and yeah. also I mean like the, the beautiful poetry of the fact that like I was born on the day that my father killed his father and I die on the mm-hmm. day that he comes to take over you know it's like mm-hmm. I don't think that mm-hmm. I think that that's that's on the mind like the gravedigger said it in the last scene like right. I don't think Hamlet I think Hamlet's probably pretty aware of of that and, and this is yeah. this is very much Shakespeare's invention um I've gone this whole time without talking about the source text which is the legend of Omleth um which is which is a Scandinavian legend and I just I just want to put this out there in the in the ending of that of the original legend Hamlet burns down the entire castle in a rage and then kills himself and then it's over that is a hard choice the ghost and hamlet dance around and set fire to everything and then go gladly away together to sun to hell my son together. <laughs> gladly, Literally. dad i have a i have a i'm interested here um because just at the very, very end here, I think Isabel, you meant you had mentioned, um, you know, the fact that there's a lot of talk in Act Five about people, well, and four, about people getting shitty funerals that are the kind of funerals they don't deserve, and we wish they had better funerals. And then the fact that the play ends with Fortinbras being like, "Let's give him a really gnarly soldier's funeral," and it's interesting because I've heard a lot of different. Um, interpretations of that fact and what it means for the ending of the play because I know that there is sort of a whole school of thought about the fact that even though this is like a kind gesture on Fortinbras part it's like the most inappropriate kind of funeral for Hamlet because he's like the least soldierly protagonist of all time because he's a philosophy student (laughs) it seems self-serving to me as a political gesture yeah, it seems like like he walks in, he's the luckiest man alive. Luigi wins by doing absolutely nothing. And then he like puts him in like the garb of a soldier and then has a little, you know, a little costume party for himself. Like he actually did something. It's funny. I like it. Well, and the language the language too of like he was likely had he been put on to have proved most royal, like or you know, to have been a good fighter, I suppose. Like had he been tried, like had I come in and had to fight him, I've always taken as the implication of that. And it's like yeah. probably not probably not though, bro. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think he's trying his best to be um polite about the situation and trying to uh hold back his joy a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he mm. was about to like go out and, and get KFC and on the way to like pick up his keys, he stumbled over a fresh vat of spaghetti bolognese. You know what I mean? Just the fact the that, this, tur- that this, the fact that that metaphor ended up coming in here, I feel like is really, I'm, it's, it's giving us the texture that we needed. Else, else had a thing? <laughs> I had a question actually, which is um, because at the beginning, Claudius is like, if Hamlet wins the first bout, then fire the cannons. Yeah, what's that about? And does does Fortin think that he's being attacked? Like I, I just it just landed on me, and I was like, I'm actually confused about this. No, because he was he was a soldier and a pirate, and they have to give him a pirate's funeral too. I think that's what it's the cannon. The cannons have to be there to alert Fortin Bras that something is happening in in the castle. Um, So I. I, I think because he doesn't walk in uh, with a full army. He does just kind of walk in and be like, hmm, what's going on in here? 
which I don't think he would do, which is, yeah, he, he is very lucky, as it's been said. I came to well, do war crimes, pretty much. And to wreak your revenge, but everything's already been wreaked for you. I mean, it's so interesting, the fact that to, to track this fact that you don't know what you're going to find, and then you walk into the castle and you're like, what the fuck? Like, because it's just like, everybody's dead on the ground. Well, I, yeah. I, I hadn't ever... Yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to... I. I think I think it's easy to kind of hate on Fortinbras, but I actually think Shakespeare, the every piece of language around him indicates that um, maybe we should think fondly of him or sort of warmly about him because um, he we don't see very much of him and that's often kind of telling because if, if we were supposed to think negatively about him we would have a scene in which everybody was like he's killing babies right now and then and then the other characters would be like mm, hate that you know but we don't have that instead what all we have is like wow he's a really he's a great prince Every, he's doing everything right he's so amazing i love him which i which i think is is important um and I mean, he, yeah, he is very lucky, but I, I also think that you don't bring an army that large to a pretty small country with the expectation, like, I, I don't think he's expecting a battle. I think he's expecting to be like, here's my army, this country is mine now, and for them to roll over, which is what happened, yeah. they did, they just said to themselves. He just didn't know that all we had was Marcellus and Bernardo out there with, <laughs> right. and like, where have they been? yeah, with like a Nerf gun. And then like inside is just Osiric and Claudius and Claudius is like, where are all my friends? And they're like, literally no one lives here, sir. I mean, like, absolutely. And like on a, on a serious note, like it, it makes the horrible, weird, like happening upon a doomsday cult feeling of this feel all the- Yes. I, that's my brain of course but like no but truly though like to happen upon this like absolute obviously it's great for him but like this absolute yeah like house of horrors and like it, it makes me think about that everyone has talked about before just how insular this play has been for nearly all of it god these people like were they all doomed the whole fucking time I guess but I, I think I think it also begs the question at the end of the play it's like you know the the, the question is like was it worth it was any of this worth it as Fortinbras comes in and like the, and they're all just dying on the floor in front of him um and so you know what's the cost of revenge I think is a, one of the big questions of, of the play um along with you know uh, what is death but uh and I, and I, I think as, as Emma's been talking about how this is like a new kind of revenge tragedy I think that's a that's a pretty new question in the way that it's handled in this play yeah i want to i want to just uplift the doomsday cult energy because that's exactly right you know of just the fact that like because of how insular it is i mean the word incestuous gets invoked an awful lot in this play but but the thing is it's like this is a world this is like a cosmos made up of like six people and that's just not good you know what I mean? It's just not good. And the fact, like, like we kept saying yesterday in Act Four, just the fact that it is, it's a a dark, cold, empty, and yet claustrophobic feeling play where the walls just sort of get closer and closer that takes place from November to March or whatever it is. And it's just like the fact that we don't go outside until we go outside to encounter an army and then to bury someone. And 
it's just all noteworthy because most Shakespeare plays aren't shaped like that. You know what I mean? Like even the tragedies, even the, you know, even the other ones with the super high body count at the end, you know what I mean? There's like an interchange of life and breath and other people from other places. And everything about Elsinore is so tight that nothing is, the death cult energy is so right because it's like if one sane person walked in a little bit sooner it so has that energy of somebody being like, what the fuck, you guys, sit down. But like the people who do permeate this, this tiny destroyed, you know, family don't have enough power to actually affect anything that would stop the, that would stop the snowball from rolling. Or they come with an army and they don't show up until the end. So yeah, I don't know. Doomsday vibes, for sure. But whether or not the funeral that Fortinbras is going to throw for Hamlet is appropriate or not, I feel like we've sort of arrived at a couple of things. One of them is that Hamlet doesn't care anymore. Like he's just like the prevailing vibe of 5-2 is if it be not to come to me, you know, I mean, we spent a while talking about that language because it's so important. And so, I mean, honestly, that's just, that's just really beautiful Shakespeare for three to one fuck it. You know what I mean? And like the three to one fuck it vibe of this act is just the fact that we've arrived at a place where it's like actually death, the trappings of it, the, the ceremony of it doesn't matter. I feel like at this point, Hamlet would be like, use my funeral for whatever political purpose you want, Fortinbras. You can be king. You'll be better at it. I'm out. Yeah, shoot me out of a cannon. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Shoot me right out of a cannon, (laughs) my dog. Yeah. The only thing I, the the only reason I think it would be maybe a a political usage of this funeral is because he is very often described as like unproven. Like he's, he's looking to like prove himself. He was looking for a battle here and he found none. Mm-hmm. So I think he's, he's a little frustrated by that, especially since the, it also, you know, squeezes off the revenge. He doesn't really get to have his, I guess no one really does though. Yeah. That's interesting is that there is sort of an anticlimax for Fortinbras. Nobody gets the revenge that they thought that they were going to get. Nobody gets to walk up to the guy that they thought that wronged them and you know shove something into him you know what i mean like nobody gets to have the moment yeah not in the right way at least and what's and what's and what started that whole cycle is someone who was able to do that right because old hamlet he had his revenge on old old norway and Mm -hmm. walked up to him and stabbed him that was a revenge as well i mean it's a political revenge uh you know it's I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm being overly poetic here, but it, you know, it's, it seems like it's some kind of, mm-hmm. you don't kill the leader of another country without some kind of a grudge right? on the front lawn of your castle. Rude, detrimental to international politics. So before we wind it back and read Act 5, just because that's all that's left to us now. I just wanted to, before we wind up the table work of it all, to call everybody back just to have an opportunity to go around because we have the time now that we've like wound our way through this to say anything that you feel like you still want to say or that you learned about like the text as a whole or 
the person that you're playing or even just a word that you think the play is about anything just to sort of popcorn it so that everybody has a chance to just express like how the text has landed inside them. Um, I'll start. I just, the, uh, for me, particularly this round, the, the Ophelia story has uh, taken a new, I've taken a new understanding of it, especially with the pregnancy of it all, which is not really a thing I ever considered. Um, so I really appreciate having a newer understanding on Ophelia. Uh, yeah, I probably agree with that. Yeah, no, I think I agree with, um, yeah, about that with Ophelia. I just realized how much of like a heartbreaking character she really is. And like almost like you said about Hamlet and how we shouldn't see him as like the hero. We, or like not like to like him and stuff. But yeah. No, yeah, like honestly for me, like, I mean, I love this play, but really, yeah, with this whole stuff about Ophelia and yeah, and the pregnancy and everything's really, I mean, to me as well, she made her such a heartbreaking character. Probably, yeah, one of the most in this play, I think. Just to piggyback yeah. off that, you know, it's something we've talked about, but I think it's so interesting of like, you know, historically why we feel the need to overly justify Hamlet's actions and like raise him up in a way that we don't to other tragic yeah. of Shakespeare. I, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. And like, and examining like how much more interesting the play is when you let him make bad choices and like live in that um, has been so interesting. It's something I've been thinking a lot about, I think, especially in like the last two acts or something else that's been said is like, you know, I think part of that also is like, because of all of Shakespeare, um, Hamlet's monologues and soliloquies are so held up as like peak Shakespeare text and like our tendency to like equate speaking well with being good, um, I think is like really, really interesting and like interrogating how we're more willing to overlook Hamlet's mistakes and failures because he is really eloquent in the way he talks about himself. Uh, I think for me, <clears throat> just from the point of view of like the ghost is how much, which this might be an obvious thing, but to me, it never really stood out as just like how much the ghost hovers over this entire play without really ever being in it. Uh, you know, he's in the first act and then kind of reappears in that scene in the third act. But just like the specter of the presence of, you know, Hamlet's relationship with his father and then, you know, what old Hamlet did to Fortinbras's father and the relationship between Claudius and, and old Hamlet and like the relationship with Gertrude and just like how much the death affects this entire like we said like this insular uh community how much they are just like haunted by the absence of this person now uh to me has just been like really interesting to just like witness like it's been such and everybody's done such a wonderful job it's been such a pleasure to like listen to everybody read this it's incredible and, and I'm also like grateful that I like haven't had too much to do because I have just like gotten to just sit in as like the ghost almost and just like watch over uh, and, and just see like how all of these different characters have been affected by this. And it's just been so interesting to me to see that presence kind of hanging over the entire thing. And then like Ariana said earlier, uh, which I thought was like such a great insight of like 
her last moment is saying like, oh, Hamlet. And like, yeah, it's both to her son, but also to her dead husband. Uh, I think, yeah, it, it's just something that I picked up on. To, to jump off of that um, and to kind of reflect on the specter that is over the whole thing, the play briefly uh, is suddenly much more uh, Greek to me than I ever realized in respect of like, it's about revenge and it's about like, does it, when, does it end? Like, how long can we do this? Like, how long can we all go on killing each other? It, like, it, d- does it stop with Fort Frost? Who knows? Like, where did it truly start? And how many specters do we really have hanging over us at this point? And indeed, the uselessness or usefulness of revenge itself. So that's been an interesting... It's been so great to hear everyone talk through their own characters' relationships to revenge and kind of realize that it's been really interesting and scary but in the best way on that subject um i really enjoyed looking at it after uh, emma you mentioned that it was kind of a I, I enjoyed looking at it as a subversion of form like as as like a just a absolutely maimed hero's journey it was like really really cool to see like how many how many spokes on that wheel he just like is stuck in a rut it was just like <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting to look at through that lens. I think it was really interesting in this form particularly, really clarified it for me. I feel like every time I work on Shakespeare, I'm reminded that if you go to the text, it will unlock its own problems. And I feel like so many times when we're in a space physically, we're trying to problem solve physically, you know, whether you're Tavi Gevinson and you have to be doing a cat's cradle in every scene. There's, <laughs> I feel like, you know, when we're in a space, there are another set of problems that present themselves and a number set of things that we're trying to work with. And I think it's always nice to be able to just go back to the text and realize that like all of the answers are there. Everything that you're seeking is there. The relationships are there. The dynamics are there. You don't have to put something on top of it because all of it exists within itself. While we're unmuted, I'll I'll talk for the sake of talking. I uh, really like this play. Uh, I think it's a slam dunk. I think it uh, jumps into grief in a way that is both at once such a... I think it's really easy to feel isolated when you're watching Hamlet. And then I think because the nature of theater is the format in which you're watching Hamlet not including movies. There's something special about that. So I think it takes you on a very personal journey in a public setting. I think that's a lovely way to build community and sort through your shit. So uh, great job, Shakespeare. Uh, 10 out of 10. A plus. A plus. Thank you. I'll piggyback off the theater bit of that. I've never actually performed Hamlet myself um, in terms of dissecting into a table work discussion surrounding it. I've seen it a bunch of times, um, clearly read it. And I think dissecting it as an actor is really interesting in the dynamics of relationships and kind of competing as... um, in terms of finding the best way to help, uh, but also failing as well. And um, 
And I think there's, you know, a dynamic in that that I'm always kind of watching the crazy of Hamlet and Ophelia when I watch it. And it and it's psychological more than anything. But I guess I miss the helping part. And I, I, I miss everybody else trying to fix it, I think. Um, and so it's really, like I said, it's interesting to pop into a table work um, discussion of it and really empathize more with uh, everybody in the in the world. I think what I'm finding as well in this is like everybody argues for whoever character it is. You can't just say you're the villain. You can't just say, you know, you're the dope. You have to find the humanity in it. And um, and I think doing that uh, really gives you a new lens to how complex it is. Um, and so that's that's my takeaway from this experience. I, um, one of the reasons that I love Shakespeare's work so much um, and Elizabethan theater in general is that there is often very little duplicity that remains obscure. And Hamlet, I think, breaks the mold in that way of like, you look at the um, Get Thee to a Nunnery scene and you see that these characters are lying to one another, like absolutely because they say both sides of a thing and the play doesn't elucidate in, in the way another one would with an aside or with a, a direct address of some sort, what the character is actually feeling. And I think that that's what makes Hamlet in particular so, so right for this sort of excavation and why it continues to be a matter of discussion is, is it has discontinuities, it has contradictions in the text and not to undercut what Aaron's saying. I do think that the, the play does answer all its own questions, but it challenges you to ask questions of a play that I don't think are, are common for the time or, or sense. I would just say that I feel like I have a newfound love of this play that I think was very lost to me before we did this because it's so, I, I, I guess like it's such a star vehicle play. It's Hamlet and it's so, there's like a weird celebrity around it that I despise. And I realized, and this is in huge part because of Julia's reading of it, that it, that it, because he so doesn't want it to be about him. Like the character of Hamlet, nothing he does is for himself. Like it's not about him. And I feel like whenever you see it, the actor playing Hamlet, like it's about them for them. And it takes so much away from like the fullness of the story and like, like we keep saying how all of these other characters are so full and complex and like complete people in this world too. And I feel like I really got that from this, from, you know, getting to delve into a really cool character myself and like enjoying exploring all of that shit. Um, but also just like, it was almost like Chekhovian to me, like these really full people who all have different shit going on. And I just really appreciated that about this. And I think it needs to be seen that way more. I don't think we often get to, I've never seen it done quite like that, so. Yeah, I just wanna say too, is like hearing all of this and hearing what everybody brought has made, like I never think about Hamlet as, you know, you think about Hamlet and Ophelia and, and all the big characters, but just like how full and great, even the small, parts in the show are uh it's such a great character driven show by all of them yeah and, and it's been 
everybody is so fucking good in this. You guys killed this. It's been awesome. So yes, I 100% agree with Zoe. I've had I've gotten so much out of um, just really sinking into what this play has to say about existentialism and the 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 view it takes on life and living um and how it is able to go so deep in 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 this sounds silly but such a short amount of time how efficient it is with what it um what it aims to do which is very ambitious um i was really struck um from our first session when isabel said uh rue is uh rue is an abortive i was like oh to inst to instantly take the world of this play which seems so distant and to place it in a modern context to realize that the the world of these characters is our world that they have the same thoughts and fears and appetites that we do how it, it it helps like zoe said to um to make to <laughs> To, to to reaffirm why why it's an important play, why it is not just a star vehicle with some great speeches, why it's a story that deserves to be told. And that uh and that the key in, and the, the key to unlocking those is um for someone to get for, for everyone to get out of the play's way and trust it because it answer it you know it answers its own questions and unlocks a lot of its own mysteries. One of the great joys of being a dramaturg is that I get to experience the same plays, but with totally different casts. And um, and every every iteration of every Shakespeare, every play, but especially Shakespeare that I work on, I always learn, and I, I love I love that. And I think that there, I, I mean, Hamlet, of course as I said, like it, it's about everything. And so any group of people is going to pull out sort of um, their own threads from this play, um, which I think is so special um, because it, it forces me to let go of all of my notions about the play, except that Ophelia is pregnant, that's the truth. Um, and uh, and just kind of listen and observe and then and and I love that this is my fourth Hamlet um, and I would identify this particular group as having such a such a care for the characters and how they connect and just like a deep kind of quiet emotionality that I think is. Um, really special and really important. And it's the first time I've heard the play that way. So thank all of you for doing such a, it's a big effort. <laughs> and I, I will consider this as one of the productions of Hamlet that I've worked on because this is the hard part. I, I wanted to say, I, thank you so much, Isabel, for everything that you brought. I think starting us off with that all about the flowers and their significance was utterly illuminating. Um, and I, I really, Zoe, when you said like, I, I don't like this play, I, this, this process has very much been similar for me. I, I kind of was like over it. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I could watch a million productions of Macbeth and never, ever, ever tire of that play. But something about Hamlet, like, I'm just like, okay, I'll just see another, you know, star play the thing. And, and 
there was something about this process that was just, and thank you so much, Emma, for creating this atmosphere that was so a lab, like we're just throwing these elements together and like pulling out these new things and new ideas. And um, I also feel particularly grateful. I do a lot of Shakespeare. I hardly ever play female characters. I always play men. So it was very challenging and really delightful to get to explore this character that I'd never really thought that much about. And what a privilege to, to, to have that opportunity. So thank you so much for that. That's you, Jay, I think. Oh, do I have to speak? I don't know. I don't, I don't have much to say. I, I feel like everybody already said it so much better. I, I, I love this play so much. And I've said that, I think probably to all of you at, at certain points, it has always held a really special place in my heart. Um, but I, yeah, like everyone said, I think that to me, it's always felt like a very simple play. Um, and I think that another, I, I love, like everyone said that, that no character feels superfluous to me in Hamlet. Um, and I think that's why I love it is because it, every cog fits in with the next in a way that you didn't expect. Every time I watched it, I'm like, oh, right, yeah, that. Oh, fuck, that's so real. Um, and I think getting to do it with all of you, of course, who I love uh, was such a joy. Um, but I think for me, what's been so illuminating is um, how little you have to work in Hamlet. And I think like, somebody said it's it's it the text answers all the questions for you but I think also in approaching it in in you know especially in a process such as this it's you know Isabel's here she's answering all the questions that we could have about sort of the con the historical context like I don't you don't have to we didn't have to do any of that work and she's so brilliant and wonderful but I think for me in terms of the character the, the answer to the question is always the simplest um and the choice is always the simplest and I, I just, uh, it's, it's really weird and not as sad as you think it is. And a, a beautiful, I don't know. I, I saw it, I think the first time I saw it, uh, I went on a school trip and there were a bunch of different schools in the room. Uh, and, and in front of me were a bunch of, of girls who were maybe in fifth or sixth grade. And I remember being like a little bit, you know, worried that people that I was like, I want to focus on this play and I'm worried that everyone else is going to interrupt it. And the Hamlet absolutely just grabbed them. They were riveted. Um, and like not, a, not a peep out of a single one of them. And I, I think that this play doesn't take itself seriously, but makes the audience take themselves seriously, um, in a way that, I think that's what I love most about it. And I hope that that uh, everyone else feels that way too. Thanks guys for, for all of this and everything. I just wanna say that hanging out with, uh, with great and very talented people makes you smarter. And um, things, that, things that I was happy to rediscover in this play, in this process, that are not just juicy and will matter to me in this play, but also that are always helpful and that I'm just grateful to sort of, 
to have rediscovered with you and to have to sort of wrap my arms around in my greater, you know, directing practice in the world. I think a truth is that it helps if everyone in the play is as smart as they can possibly be. And that's one of the choices that a great group of actors will make is that for all of the characters to be as smart as you are is the best choice. It's the best use of you. And it helps the play be more complicated. Likewise, um, morality is not playable and it's not as interesting as feeling. And it's not the same thing. And art is a lot more interesting if you let go of, but is it good? Is it moral? Is it right? The tr- like the true thing is just about what you're, is just about feeling. You know what I mean? And it's a guts play just as much as it is a head play. And I think that is a wise thing to rediscover as artists. And I feel grateful to have relearned that lesson by watching you move through this play. And um, as Aaron said, you know, the, the, the text unravels its own problems. And I think that's always a helpful thing for everybody to come home to is just that just come home, just come home to the language and don't judge the people and be brave enough to have a huge feeling. I mean, that's the whole work. Well, to have a deep feeling, a real feeling. I think what Isabel said about the about the care and the quiet and the, I don't know, the intensity of this crew, I think is really right and really real. And I think it really comes through in the work. And everybody is equally imbuing that onto all of their people and nothing feels small. Everything feels relevant. So yeah, thank you. Just thank you so, so, so much for your work and your time. And um, this is real shit. This is like a production. This is real. This is real shit here that you've done. So I hope that everybody goes home really proud of their, um, their contribution and their energy.